Hello and welcome to the Crate and Crowbar. This is episode 168, recorded on the 29th of November. I'm Tom Francis and with me here today are... John Roberts. And... Philip Wu. I've got a credit left that I've never actually used if you're interested. Oh yeah. I made the mod for UFO Afterlight. The mod. The mod. There's only one mod. There's a very small <laughs> modding community for UFO Afterlight, and so I was you? a quarter of it. <laughs> oh, okay, so there was, there was more than one person on the mod, but there's only the one mod. Yes. <laughs> awesome. What is UFO Afterlight? Is that like... Uh, do you remember in the dark times before there was a proper uh, XCOM sequel? There were... Yeah. Before Firaxis did it, there were three games made by either a Czech or a Ukrainian studio called UFO Aftermath, Aftershock, and After Light, and they were tolerable. <laughs> but yeah, what was the mod? What did it do? Uh, it was just a really basic thing that expanded the weapons and tools and rebalanced a few things. Um, but it's one of the very first things I did, and I'm completely out of credits now. <laughs> <laughs> I used to make Junicum 3D levels. Um, I used to make Doom levels as well, but I think Junicum 3D was like the internet existed then, so <laughs> I was able to share those on the CompuServe forum for Tutnukum 3D. And uh, uh, my one called Space Hulk was quite popular in terms of downloads. I don't think people liked it when they did download it, but <laughs> very few people downloaded it because it said Space Hulk. And so they thought, wow, I'm going to get a full-on Games Workshop experience here from this clearly licensed and authorised <laughs> level. And someone um, complained that uh, some of the corners in it were too sharp. Like, some of the corners were more acute. Well, they were acute, which means they're less than 90 degrees. Um, and they said I should, like, round them off. And I was like, fuck you! You don't know what the fuck you're talking about! And then later I thought, yeah, you're right, I should do that. <laughs> you could and have told was... them they were viewing it from the wrong point of view. Because, like, if they've been talking from the the other side of the circle, like, it was obtuse. <laughs> Yeah. You have to think about the negative space. The, the negative space was obtuse, for sure. <laughs> As is that line of reasoning. I suppose, yeah. Um, their complaint was that the solid part was Yeah, acute. no, that still stands. Damn. Um, I used to, like, in... I figured out that... Uh, oh, it's, it's like everything's really boxy and square, but you can place corners by just like as you move the mouse in the editor you could just press space to place a vertex and so i'd make curved rules by just moving the mouse in a curve whilst hammering the space key making like <laughs> a thousand vertices oh wow um, and thought wow i just found a, like a loophole that makes you make curved rules in video games and then it ran really slowly and i was like what <laughs> what's going on <laughs> oh, i made a game once you reviewed really? it very popular popular oh. very well that avocado <laughs> pusher thing oh yeah into yeah. a swimming pool yeah. But were you drowning the avocado? I couldn't remember. I <laughs> was think, it Hitman no, avocado? No, I don't know why the avocado was going in the swimming pool, but like, <laughs> I think it was more on the sort of practical joke pushing kind of side of things. Right. And there was a humorously big finger that was just, it was in puzzle script. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I put your name on the poster. <laughs> <laughs> what did they say? I think... It I don't remember. Uh, I think possibly the best avocado-based pushing game that you'd <laughs> right. played in a while or something. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Um, there's a few bits of news this week. One is, uh, just before I came out, I saw that uh, there is a gameplay video of Signal from Tolva, the game that um, Jim Ross and Yol and friends are making. Uh, previously did Sir, You're Being Hunted. Um, and it looks really cool. 
you you're quite excited about this game, aren't you, John? Uh, yes, I am a huge Ian McHugh fanboy, uh, who's the concept artist. They've got to do a lot of their bot and ship designs. What do they call the world of Ian McHugh's imagination? It doesn't have a name. It's kind of it should weird. be the McHugh. I heard you use a phrase for this. Yeah, yeah. You use like, that phrase. That's Someone used that phrase. Someone, yeah. <laughs> like that's the logical one, it right? <laughs> but yeah, he I was trying to bait you into saying it. Uh, <laughs> industrial ships and stuff inspired by uh, growing up in the Northampton dockyards and stuff like that. But Signal from Tolva looks uh, really cool. Yeah, it's um, it seemed uh, so Jim is very uh, inspired by Stalker, I happen to know. <laughs> and his, um, I know that So You're Being Hunted at least was a, um, an attempt to kind of make uh, a take on that kind of game. Uh, but this one reminded me much more of Far Cry. Well, in that you look through binoculars and you can tag people by doing that, and it, it scans people. I think he was actually scanning friendly robots in that video, and it would tell him like everything about like what they're currently up to, what their current objective is, uh, what their weapons are, and all that stuff. Um, and it's uh, fair to call it open world, right? Yeah, it's handcrafted open world. Yeah. Um, and there are like certain control points and stuff, but you just have friendly robots just wandering around all over the place. And there are other factions also wandering around all over the place. And they will get into fights of their own accord. And you don't really control them by default. Um, you can just join in and you can... If you start attacking enemies, you, any friends nearby will come and will hear the noise and come and like help out. Um, but it only like... It seemed like he was saying that it's quite a late game upgrade that you get that lets you directly sort of acquire bots and... Mm like command them individually so you can like this is tool that you fire it at a friend and it makes them more than a friend <laughs> um so that you can directly command them and then you just fire it somewhere else and it tells them where to go um I and hope, so you can like i hope it manage. works out well i've not played it yet and i'm quite excited to actually get my hands on it but it's they've made a game out of the stuff that everyone else cuts out of their open world game because it's too complicated. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, um, one of the stalkers, possibly Clear Sky and Skyrim, at least in their early stages, had these big ideas where there would be roaming uh, um, factions and they would intelligently um, set and then take objectives and fight amongst each other and stuff like that. And they were all cut because it all got far too complicated. <laughs> It sounds like uh, the game is pretty much based on this. I can imagine it's a more of a nightmare if you're trying to sort of um, do a bunch of scripted stuff and then also do this dynamic stuff, and I imagine the two could interfere with each other quite badly. But um, from this video, I got the impression that like there is a story and you are uncovering some kind of mystery, but uh, Jim said something like, there are no scripted encounters. So I think, I imagine, since it's based around these kind of control points, um, my guess is that you, like, take those control points and by doing so maybe unlock a bit more of the story oh and um some of them are just like points out in the field but then there are also bunkers that you um need to take over and those look really cool they're like brutalist concrete structures with um like really chunky angles and stuff yeah it's worth pointing out that the 3d art was done um by a bristol guy called ollie scum and wilson and I think he's the only artist on the project. Wow. So he's done an incredibly impressive job. Yeah, that's awesome. There's some CSGO news as well. <laughs> the most exciting CSGO news, that you can now customise your gloves. <laughs> it's the, the one bit of CSGO that you haven't, been in, you haven't been able to buy hideous decorative things for yet. 
It's I've... quite literally money grabbing. <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. Fine. <laughs> Whatever. I feel. CS:GO just sort of endlessly reminds me how little I understand these cocktails. Like I, I knew I wasn't a part of the CS community ever of it for any version, um, but I've enjoyed it and I was excited about CS Source at the time. Um, and if you when CS:GO first came out, it seems so unappealing to me because it just looked. Like, it wasn't technologically more advanced than CS Source. It just looked grayer. Like, they just took out a bunch of the color. And so things that used to be yellow dusty levels were now brown dusty levels. Um, and nothing they'd added seemed appealing to me. And then the fact that you could unlock weapon skins and stuff, uh, just it's quite slowly, I think. It, it just built, built and built and built. And it turns out all the weird cosmetic stuff that seems ridiculous to me, like being able to look at your gun and unlocking not just... It's not just that the ability to unlock skins doesn't really appeal to me, but also the specific skins that you can unlock all look horrible to me. <laughs> um, and apparently I'm just completely polar opposite of the, the player base for that game because they just love it more and more and spend a crazy amount of money on it. And the fact that that CSGO Lotto thing was such a big deal was separate to the issue itself was just remarkable. Like the, the game's economy has to be vast for that kind of thing to be an economy into itself. Like lotteries are a thing <laughs> in the mm. CSGO economy because the economy itself is so big. The other, uh, probably the biggest thing that um, happened this week actually was that No Man's Sky was finally updated and everyone was um, uh, kind of shocked, I think. <laughs> like, <laughs> it is, uh, you have to sympathise a bit with um, uh, Hello Games because they got in trouble for basically talking a lot about what they planned to put in No Man's Sky and arguably not fully clarifying exactly how some things would work or saying some things that then later turned out not to be true because they'd taken those things out. Um, and it's totally fair enough to, to like talk about things that aren't 100% certain. Um, and then when they got in a huge amount of trouble for that, uh, they shut up completely. And then everyone's like, why aren't you talking? Come on, you've got to say something. You can't just stay silent. And then um, this is clearly what they've been working on ever since. And it's a huge update. Like the Well, uh, you can tell us a bit because you've played it, but I, the feature list is huge. And it adds mm. base building, which is a fairly major feature. Um, and it actually, yeah, got me really interested to play it again. I haven't done yet, but how is it? Yeah, it's it's a weird one because I I'm interested in what they've added, but I'm also struggling to bring those new things into my current playthrough because what they did was they didn't erase people's current progress, although I think they had to... I think they had to like reboot the universe or something. <laughs> so so you're kind of in the ballpark of where you were, but like I think I've seen a few people are a bit annoyed because their planet that they decided to hang out on or that they liked has now changed. Oh, right. And is something a bit different. Like there's a warning when you go into that save file, I think for the first time it's like, oh, you are you do have all of your stuff, it's just you might not be quite where you think you are huh. or something. Um and so uh, I booted mine up and was like, okay, well, I don't remember where I was, so sure, fine, <laughs> whatever. Um, but I, it's one of those things where the mindset is so different now with, or I, I feel like it's supposed to be with this base building stuff and the changes to the resource management. So you've got modular bases that you can build. So if you've played 
Subnautica or if you've played something like Osiris New Dawn or, you know, any of those games, you'd sort of have an understanding of, you know, it's it's modules that clip onto each other and um, you've got like decorative things and storage modules and all of that kind of kerfuffle that you can add. Um, and they all take resources and, you know, so it's a case of like essentially like squirreling things away and then building stuff and, you know, making it your own. Um, but the game previously, I mean, they've spoken about base building pretty much since just after launch, but up until launch, the whole point of it seemed to be that you were a space nomad mm. and you were just sort of permanently exploring like these new frontiers and things like that. And to me, it's never really satisfactorily felt like base building fits with that concept and so it just still feels like they've got a set of things that they're still struggling to make a coherent sense of game out of and this mm. is you know a sensible thing to do and I think it will attract more people and I think people will be sort of more maybe fulfilled in what they can do but it also means that I think people like me who played quite a lot of it before drifting away will like I can't seem to shake the mindset of why would I build a base here when I might prefer yeah. somewhere else or you know I'm I'm already bored of this solar system so I want to move along so why would I put down roots and things and you can buy freighters as part of this stuff and and they're sort of supposed to be far more for like they they're these expensive mobile warehouses basically but you can also build little hydroponics farms and things so you can grow resources on them as well and and add some of the base building modules to that but i feel like that the customizability you should probably just have a a mobile space station or something like hmm. why would you have the bases that you can put down on planets and still have that mindset of exploration. And they've tried to make the terrain and stuff more interesting and more varied and more beautiful. And like the blending works better and like the grass matches the earth color better and, you know, all of those kinds of things. And I, I think that that is really noticeable. It's been noticeable to me mm. that I'm taking screenshots that I'm happier with, if you see what I mean. Um, but at the same time, like, it's still not enough that I've found a solar system that I want to stay in particularly or right. to have as my base. And that's partly because the ones that I've landed in since going back to the game have been not great for the resources that I particularly want. Like the, the stuff that you need for the hyperspace travel um, has all been on planets with hyper hostile drones. And so I'm like... <laughs> well, I'm clearly not going to stick around here because it's not even like I can stockpile the stuff that, that would be useful to stockpile yeah. at this point. So, um, I feel so like yeah. I want to uh, collect all these planets. <laughs> that doesn't mm. make any sense, but like... Um, so you can you can discover them, and that means you get to add them to this uh, sort of encyclopedia thing. But that never really meant much to me. Um, I think what I want to be doing is like, as I go through the galaxy, every time I find a planet I like... And why I like it can be uh, anything from like it has good resources to I just think it's pretty or there's a nice creature here. Um, I think I'd like the base building to be like construct a portal or something. And it would be mm. kind of like putting a bookmark there. And then from any of your future bases, you could go back there and just like, because I remember my, I didn't play it that much um, 
but I uh, I remember a couple of planets, and one in particular stuck in my mind as um, uh, this kind of wintry world that had um, sort of uh, what looked like coniferous trees, and uh, it was quite alien, um, but it had a very particular feel to it, and it had these floating islands with trees on it that I hadn't seen before, um, and I really like that planet, but I don't want to I don't think I would build a base there. It's nice, but I don't want to live there forever. Mm. But it's kind of, I just want to bookmark it and say, I might want to come back there someday. It's just... You can use, I think they've now got waypoint markers. Um, I haven't used them myself because, like I say, I haven't really found much in since going back in that I've wanted to, to keep hold of, I guess. You can also sort of construct save points now, which is a big sort of useful sort of quality of life change. Um, but so you can bookmark in some way these things but it would then be a faff to get back mm. um you can also teleport to your home base from like space stations and things i think if i remember that rightly um it's been so like a base that you've made on a planet so yeah like what you do is you find one of those old abandoned structures that are just lying around on planet surfaces and then you can set it as your home planet and your home base and then you just start adding on to it and building it and changing it and all of those things and I ended up doing that in creative mode because you now have three modes there's that normal one then there's creative mode which takes away all of the building costs and things um so you can just sort of play around as if it's a lego sandbox um and then there's also a sort of far more hardcore version called the survival mode um so i was in creative mode for a while just sort of seeing what i could build or what the base would look like and some of it was nice and it seemed to work really well and some bits of it like i couldn't get the the modules to seem to snap onto each other so i had some weird gaps between like a corridor and a a room that i was just like I don't understand why the others all popped on and this one won't. So, you know, there are a few things like that that maybe are just bugs they'll iron out in the coming weeks, I hope. But but the other annoying thing, actually, was that I kept... Because it removes all of the, um, the gating that the resources apply, it meant that I'd kind of seen pretty much everything that you could research by the time I'd finished messing around with that without realizing, like if I'd known that this was, so you can build, like I say, you can build hydroponics farms and units and things um, on freighters, but you can also build them in your home base. But the plants that you can grow, some of them I think you have when you start, but you need to recruit somebody like an NPC from a space station or something to, to man it for you and to research things. And I hadn't known that when I was just tinkering around. And so I'd gone into creative mode and seen all of the plants that you can (laughs) research and just sort of thrown them all hither and yon into, you know, the uh, seed beds and seen them grow. And was like, okay, cool. That's great. And then I'm like, oh, that was the thing that I would have been working towards or (laughs) would have been trying to um, find resources for. And so that was a weirdly, like punctured balloon for me I guess (laughs) I was like oh so yeah it's one of those weird things and like but freighters I think might solve that whole thing of you know having 
this stuff and having the space that you can then cart around your findings with you but um it's one of those things that's expensive so you don't get it first of all and i haven't been trading i haven't been like you know saving money or anything so it's like okay well i don't think i can get one of those for a while so i'll probably need to do these base things just for the storage stuff maybe because mm. i'm at that point where you know it's a one in one out policy with most things on my ship now but oh so it's all a bit i don't know like it's a, a really interesting update it's a massive change mentally with the game but i feel like it's really hard to make that shift yourself like as a player because it's like well okay you now want me to do something that feels completely different to the thing that i was supposed to be doing and and i i appreciate that i have those abilities and i've i can sort of take or leave them but it now feels a bit like does the game know or does Hello Games know what the game is supposed to be or is it just going to throw tools at it and bolt things on until everyone is happy or at least stops complaining or I I don't really know where I'm at with it myself because like I like I like using it just as a landscape generator almost and so I'm kind of okay with that and but I Oh, I should have been in early access. <laughs> they should have figured this stuff out. They just should have. I think I saw um, hints that they're going to bring or thinking about bringing land vehicles mm. to it. Do you think the planets can offer kind of enough gameplay to support that? If there's enough room to expand those things? Because I can't quite see the the use of land vehicles when you can hop in your jump jet spaceship and just... I think... It something like a speeder bike might be useful but just in terms of sometimes you want to go a bit faster and a bit closer to land without installing a mod Mm. and stuff because if you get in your ship and go up then you lose a lot of the detail of the landscape and so you can't necessarily see whether it's a bit that you want to get out at so i think that that's the the use that i can see for those ideas but i've been assuming that's a technical restriction that like the reason they don't let you fly too close to the land is that if you're if they're having to load that much detail they can't load it at the speed that you travel and so presumably land vehicles couldn't be as fast as the ship yeah so maybe it would be like an interim thing but like i don't know it's one of those things where like i i don't Oh, I don't know. They should have been clearer with their communication and they should still have been clearer with their communication. Like it shouldn't have been like a kind of, you know, like I agree that people, like if you're going to have to talk about stuff really early on, it would be like, because when I'm making something, like whether that's a recipe or a painting or something like that, like if you ask me halfway through how exactly it's going to turn out, like I don't always know, like I can tell you the basic direction and like what I vaguely want it to look or taste like but things sort of happen along the way but like I think it's important that you recalibrate people's expectations once you've started talking about it and I think that like I don't know the the addition or the the sudden appearance of base building in the talking and how that completely reorients the way people experience the space or like the the loop of play like you go out and then you come back in that case whereas previously it was just this onward progression mm-hmm. all of the time that all of the tools were were pointing towards and so they, i mean obviously they haven't 
really pitched it as a game with a particular objective but they did always say that you're trying to get to the center of the galaxy like that's mm-hmm. i think they sort of stress that that's not the only thing you can do but that's one of the, the things is that what the atlas path is i like i stopped like- for following that for a while like it's still sort of pings up on my to-do list and i think i've you know obviously i've still got bits relating to various quests and it prods me a bit every now and again but um like that's one of the questions that i had was like where does this leave that Mm. like (sighs) i wonder if it's not worth um building on that kind of direction because anyone who was interested in that objective has probably already done it by now right yeah i mean like the base building isn't prohibitive so it might just be that like the people who are interested in that will do that the people who want the story stuff will do that the people who want to find out what's in the middle will do that you know like it's i think maybe this just opens it out and makes it a kind of anyone can do anything within certain constraints and i think that that could be a really really cool thing it's more just that as somebody who's followed the development along, it's like you do just wonder, like, what what were you thinking? Or, like, because it always, to me, it always felt like they had a sense of what they wanted people to feel when they were playing it. And then they were sort of trying to find clothes to dress the game in <laughs> to do that, if that makes sense. Like they wanted people to feel like explorers and to to find these great wildernesses and have that sense of discovery and boredom and discovery. And, and, you know, that's not the easiest thing in the world to actually tease out of people, it turns out. (laughs) I'm pretty sympathetic to the the difficulties of that because making a procedural game (laughs) ourselves, uh, there is a, like, with heat signature, it's always been everything has to be infinite. And mm. so anything I want the player to be doing, I have to write the formula to generate that forever. And by definition, it's going to be formulaic because I've written a formula. <laughs> like, yeah. if it's not formulaic, I can't generate an infinite amount of it. So, <laughs> um, and that can be kind of paralyzing. Like you end up like realizing for a while, we're going to have every faction will be generated as well. And because you need infinite of them, because if you can ever wipe one out, then of course we need the game to carry on, so we need to generate a new one. And it can't be the same as the old one, so therefore we need like a faction generator. And eventually I realized like there is no way I can I can generate a sort of a group of people with like a leader and political beliefs and a style of, of um ship or whatever that uh, isn't going to feel completely throwaway. Like, if I do this, then all of them are garbage instead of only, <laughs> like, instead of having four <laughs> and you run out of them eventually. Yeah. So, like, it's the, end, the way we end up doing it is there's only four factions um, and each time you start a galaxy, all four of them are there and you can wipe them out and you can just ruin the galaxy if you like. You can sort of, like, scour it of content, probably. Um, but then you can just create a new galaxy, so that's all right. It's going to be interesting to see... Jumping ahead a bit, it's going to be interesting to see what um, Big Robot um, do next, because So You're Being Hunted was procedural, mm. and um, Signal from Tolva is mostly hand-crafted. Uh, so it's going to, yeah. whether the next game leans in one of those camps or tries to combine them in some way is going to be quite interesting. Yeah. Mm. And uh, David Pittman uh, of Minor Key Games did Eldritch procedural? 
Then he did Neon Struct, which was handcrafted. And then he did Slayer Shock, which is procedural again, I think. Mm. Maybe you um, just zigzag. Like, maybe that's, you know, you get <laughs> yeah, so sick of one that yeah, you I mean, just have to do the other one. Yeah, I mean, not procedural. He seems to be his. <laughs> I guess the next one has to be not procedural. They, uh... I mean, but, or <laughs> maybe it's just everyone who tries a procedural never does it again. <laughs> Actually, no, because David Pittman did do it again, so... Uh, everyone who does procedural doesn't want to do it again yet. <laughs> yeah, just need to leave that field fallow for a while. <laughs> yeah, like you do it and you think, boy, just making things <laughs> sure was nice. And then you make things like, fucking hell, this is hard. <laughs> Generating things sure seems good right now. I think something that would maybe make me a bit more inclined to stay in one place would be if, because they've got biomes in the sense that, you know, planets can be radioactive or tropical or, you know, all of that stuff. But I think if, if there were biomes on planets, you know, different, um, you know, like if you had polar ice caps or if you had, oh, yeah. you know, desert sections or if you had beaches even, like that would maybe make me want to stay a bit longer and also would help with the vehicles thing. Like I would mm. feel like there were actually places to go or, yeah. you know, there was maybe more granularity to explore. Whereas at the moment, even though the, the, um, the generation seems to have improved it's still like you'll land on a planet and you'll feel like you've got the hang of the planet within you know five minutes yeah. 30 seconds <laughs> that's a shame um it is quite true to the way sci-fi works in movies as well mm, <laughs> that's like, true in star wars for example there's just an ice planet and a forest planet and a desert planet and like the forest moon of endor oh sorry that's yeah, a moon <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, like, and in sci-fi in general, it's always like the planet has one theme, yeah. and it's probably something that you can find on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like they're like theme parks, aren't they? Or yeah. like little worlds in theme parks. But um, the other thing that I don't know if I mentioned was that if you do want to build a new base, you can choose to like, you know, destroy the old one for resources and things. And so I think that softens that blow a little bit. But I couldn't help but think of my Subnautica base, which actually, like, I've I've worked really hard to make it what I wanted. And I think if I had to rebuild that again, which is why I haven't gone back in subsequent patches, like, I it, it would be, you know, feel like going through the motions at the moment. Like, I have you, to leave a certain amount of time. For, can you not load your previous base when they patch it? I don't think so, because it would be dependent on the terrain. So, like, it, all it said in the patch notes was that you get the resources refunded to you. Huh. So, oh, yeah. And also, like, I don't know what happens, because usually if you mine stuff when you don't have a, a slot for it, like, you just lose that resource. And so, you know, if you'd built quite a hefty base, like, what would you... Yeah, you're just going to come hmm. back in and a thousand tons of steel are just going to explode out from your character. <laughs> exactly, and you're just like, oh, whoops. <laughs> Yay, resources. <laughs> so, so that's all kind of uncharted territory because I haven't really wanted to base build in the in the main sort of normal mode bit of the game yet just because I'm just waiting on a solar system where I don't, <laughs> I don't get killed every five minutes when I try and get heredium or whatever it is. <laughs> Yeah, I remember now. I think the main thing in the patch that makes me want to go back to it is that um, if you press left on the D-pad, it tells you what your current objective is. Oh god! <laughs> and yeah. the whole reason I stopped playing was that I just forgot what my objective was, and I couldn't find any way to find out. Like nowhere in the menus, and go through the encyclopedia and all this stuff, and it just won't tell me. Like, what am I supposed to be doing? I know it's a sandbox game, but. I also know you've locked off 90% of the, the universe to me because I don't have the right kind of drive and I can't remember what kind of drive it is and I can't remember what I need to make it. Oh, they've removed the Atlas 1 pass requirement, so I think you can get through a lot more doors 
on oh. bases. <laughs> so I keep running into the Atlas three, like past, like right. shut off. Oh, yeah, like, I told Atlas Dack. to fuck off really early on. And I, I feel I may have closed many of those doors forever. Uh. <laughs> you have to make that decision really early without knowing what the I hell it means. It, I think it comes back and asks you if you're sure a few times. <laughs> right. So, but yeah, How are you also liking those locked doors you can't open. <laughs> Should have gone with Atlas. Um, also, I've been like, I've sort of been enjoying the creatures again, just because they're all so ridiculous. Yeah, like, I've been enjoying your videos. I haven't, I don't think I've found, I've found a few that were just quite sweet or quite cool or whatever, but they are still that slightly janky kind of, you know, awkward, gawky thing yeah. rather than like majestic dinosaurs <laughs> or anything yeah. like Lumpy freaks. Yeah, it's, uh, but they're, they're kind of endearingly <laughs> idiotic a lot of the time <laughs> and one of them tried to kill me <laughs> it was like this tiny thing that was like less high than my character's knee would have been and it just like ran at me and headbutted me until i got back in my ship this is <laughs> <pretty> endearing <laughs> <laughs> was this the same one where you couldn't make out its face uh oh no that was the other one like so i landed on that ice planet where it was essentially like some sort of um delegation of of all creatures had mm. turned up and looked around and there was one where i just couldn't tell which way round its face was yeah because i was watching a video and i, I thought the same thing like i, I, I just yeah like looking is that really far nose? to the left like, or what, i think so i think what it is is it's got like two knobbly bits that look like noses <laughs> and then a weird like opening in the center where its actual nose would be so it's got like two pointy nodules instead of eyes and then like a an opening instead of a nose but it's really hard to make out and I had to watch that video back a few times to like even work it out but then there's like this thing that looks almost like a dinosaur and it sort of trots towards me in a merry way and I think that it's going to be my friend and then it, it injures me it's like oh and then I tried it's, to shoot it I, I guess I never tried to feed anything in No Man's Sky but when you do it in your videos like it makes a happy face on them but then the happy face kind of stays on them and yeah. it stays on their face so it's and really it's freaky ridiculous as well <laughs> it's a giant smiley emoticon just glued to their face seemingly forever it's so inappropriate as well like the smiley face is just like one of the like default earth emoji and you're just like mm, <laughs> really <laughs> Is that what we we have in the I don't know whatever this is twenty fifth and a half century or whatever <laughs> it is? But, eh. <laughs> so that's been that has been my thing that I have been playing. Mm. How about you, John? Um, I was just ready to download something really interesting and eclectic to talk about on the Creighton Crowbar. But my finger clicked on Dishonored 2 instead. <laughs> and I don't think there's anything left to say about that. Um, but I did um, go to Adventure X a couple of weekends ago, which is a relatively new um, convention type thing uh, that started as a con for point-and-click adventures. Oh. And they've um, this year they expanded it into um, general kind of narrative-based games. I think John was on a panel for that. John Walker. John Walker, yeah. Yeah, yeah they had some really interesting guests. Um, people like um, Dave Gilbert of Wadget Eye, uh, Rihanna Pratchett, Charles Cecil, Alexis Kennedy of Fail Better, Sunless Sea kind of fame, uh, Emily Short, who's big in the interactive fiction community. And um, 
the most important man in adventure games, Richard Cobbett, <laughs> who was just kind of presiding over the whole thing, uh, holding fast on wisdom and forgotten lore. But it was a really fun little expo, and it's grown quite a lot. That um, It was just held in um, the Goldsmith campus, and everyone was incredibly happy when it um, sold out and they had to turn people away. But um, they had some interesting talks, which you can still find online. Um, to the point of, we were there for, uh, I was there for uh, across the weekend, and I only had time to play a few of the games that were on show. Um, uh, I had to play a bit more of Growbot, which is oh, yeah. Lisa Evans' Friends of the Podcasts. Um, kind of an Aminata-inspired game. Uh, really beautiful, hand-drawn um, robot adventures. Was it looks there? so cute. No. Like, the whole thing is something that I would love framed on my wall. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think everything... Is everything done by her? I'm not sure. I think, think cool, yeah. so, yeah. 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 But yeah, it's really beautiful and nicely animated. Um, it was nice to see that there. I also played some Her Majesty's Spiffing, which is... Uh, a kind of comedy classic point-and-click game, um, which I've got high hopes for. I also backed the Kickstarter. Oh, I was going to say, I thought I remembered mm. it like from a Kickstarter email a while back. And I think that's out on December 7th. And it's going to be interesting to see how it turns out because it could go either way. They're, kind of, they're, they're riffing on the kind of Douglas Adams, Red Dwarf kind of angle. Um, so in the introduction, I think they're the only people who are excited about Brexit. <laughs> uh, because their game starts with the economic ruin of the UK. <laughs> and uh, so the Queen says enough is enough and engages um, the the Great British Space Programme and does so by walking into Mission Control, which is staffed exclusively by uh, Queen's Guards in bearskins and so on, uh, <laughs> and pushes the big red button, at which point Big Ben fires off into the atmosphere, carrying a space shuttle, which is kind of gloriously like a Harrier jump jet and a mini had a baby. <laughs> and so your uh, adventures in space colonization uh, go on. Um, and so describing that, you either hated it or quite liked it. So I think well, you and I were on the opposite end of that <laughs> spectrum. I remember watching the video and being like, mm. yeah. Um, the guys behind it definitely have a good sense of humor. So I hope that makes it through into the writing. And it isn't very cheesy and cliched and so on. This actually feels like it's going to um, roll up against um, Sunless Skies. Is that yeah, what it's called? a little. Because that's also, isn't it also the, the Queen or the, the sort of... It's the Empress. Right. Is, is she the, the one em- in her... Is she British? Um, I, th- I, it, I haven't really followed that side of the narrative I've been pottering around at sea in Sunless Sea. And so mm. my Empress storyline isn't hugely developed, I don't think. But I remember she, hearing it pitched as like the British Empire goes to space. Yeah, mm. like she ends up taking to the skies and um, sort of setting up a, a, you know, essentially if I can't do this on uh, under the sea, then I'll do it in the sky or whatever it is. And you then play as someone on the fringes of that empire i think if i'm right yeah i'm quite interested in fallen skies no sunless skies but that's more (laughs) kind of in the fallen london kind of dank kind of yeah like 
not dank in the sense of you know internet Means. now but um like I, that's the word that always springs to mind with these sort of slightly run down victorian kind of not steampunk but sort of almost just literary yeah i think like an underground sea is the definition of dank almost <laughs> yeah yeah but like dank in the sky i don't know anyway <laughs> dank in the sky with diamonds <laughs> it's, all, it's all gone wrong <laughs> yeah i think there's definitely different ends of the spectrum i don't think you're going to go mad and eat your crew in her majesty's spiffing or anything like that her Majesty's spiffing if i remember rightly there was more of a kind of an austin powers or a like yeah it's got kind of that vibe wanting to be more blackaddery or whatever whereas um the other one was uh, sunless skies is more of that sort of victorian gothic slash mm. sci-fi like planetary romance yes. kind of it yeah. will certainly have exceptional writing and possibly better gameplay than sunless sea we'll have to see it looks more promising with how they're doing those the the go out and come back thing did you see the the blog that they put up about that so like you know how in sunless sea you have to especially towards the later stages of the game when you're going like basically towards the other side of the map and then you've got that ridiculously arduous trek back that mm. isn't particularly exciting um unless you've saved some ports to call in <laughs> out on the way home um what they've done is they have tentatively said not having home ports at all but having main ports Mm. So you'll always have one that's moderately nearby to sort of cut down on that journey back being yeah. a pain. Um, Alexis Kennedy, I think is his name, mm. um, said he was acutely aware of um, how the kind of mechanical side of Sunless Sea wasn't great. So it's going to be interesting, like specifically how trying to merge an RPG and a roguelike was not a good match at all. Mm. He's gone now, though, right? He left. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's working off on his kind own of freelancing thing. and stuff. So we'll see. So maybe I will disagree with him. <laughs> They're just going to do it the exact same way. <laughs> but I played uh, two more games in addition to that, which I won't name because they were awful. <laughs> oh, dear. And it kind of put me in a weird place because I quite like to try and make a point-and-click adventure um, after... Heat signature is done. <laughs> <laughs> um, Any day now, I feel. <laughs> and I I can't dare undergo that without doing a lot of research and reading. And it doesn't matter where, what kind of kind of point and click or puzzle game you're trying to make, there's a lot of good information out there from luminaries like Ron Gilbert and Tim Schafer and even Dan Marshall. Uh, he made one of the better point and clicks in recent memory um, about just decent ways to construct puzzle and there's so much writing on how to write a narrative and stuff like that so when you play a game and it breaks every single one of these basic guidelines to the point of completely cheating the player undermining the the rules of its world um, just is guilty of the worst kind of mind, the mind of the designer puzzles that you have absolutely no hope of really understanding and so on. It's just, on one level, it's disappointing that this is the kind of thing that's representing point and clicks. And it's like, this is why 
people say they died because nobody enjoys this kind of thing. On the other hand, it's quite invigorating that I know I can do better. <laughs> <laughs> Although, unfortunately, this is now recorded for posterity. <laughs> now, I think that's a good place to start. I'm, I'm much more inspired by things I don't like than I am by things mm. I do. I'm mm. always like, well, this is garbage. I can do better than this. <laughs> but so I don't know what kind of state you have to be in to write a puzzle. Say you're trying to get into um, the back door of a kind of office lab and you are greeted by a locked door. Uh, there is a keyhole and there are several plant pots nearby. Do you have an instant reaction to solve this puzzle? I would look under one of the pot, plant pots. You can't. Mm. There is no hot spot to do that. <laughs> the game literally does not let you do that. The way you solve this puzzle is by using uh, a scary mask in your inventory, <laughs> which is unexplained, though possibly because it's a demo, to scare a nearby cat, which then freaks out, runs around, smashes one of the plant pots, <laughs> revealing the key. Oh, for fuck's sake. So it is under the plant pot. You're just not allowed to look there. Exactly. And <laughs> later in that game, you go through, um, you're trying to exit an area, and um, you click on a bunch of stupid stuff, which does random things, until finally you are kind of catapulted through a doorway, at which point the main character says, oh, that was a doorway, why didn't we just use that? When there was absolutely no option to... And I can't imagine making these kinds of design choices. It just seems totally backwards. Well, that's one of the things where like, I feel like they think that it's going to have a real sort of comedic payoff because mm. of the amount of faff and all of that stuff but it's such a it's such an obvious hackneyed joke at this point and also just sort of doesn't really come off anyway because it feels f when you do that sort of thing it feels far closer to those stupid things where a game actually acknowledges that a tutorial that does this this and this is shit isn't it while yeah. doing those things and you're like that's not do you think that you're doing a satire or something? <laughs> like, have you heard a word? <sighs> and I, I'm sorry that I played a couple of demos and they made me so angry that I went back and played them again with my notebook. <laughs> but, uh, there was another game. They might... probably thought, oh, wow, this guy loves our game. This is so encouraging. <laughs> and uh, then you shut the notebook and on the front you've put in big black letters, <laughs> things to never do in my game. See, I love the the low-key beginning in uh, a lot of narrative-based games, like... Um, the Longest Journey. The Longest Journey especially, because that... Um, if you're going to have a story which involves magical adventure, you have to start off from a kind of low-key, so the magic feels magical. And there's a danger there, which this game fell into, of making your beginning too mundane, <laughs> uh, to the point of being a boring character, and the first ten minutes of your game is looking around trying to find your multi-tool so you can go and fix someone's laptop. Mm. And it's lucky you can play it with one hand because you need the other one to prop up your face. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I'm, I have to think about these things because you want that kind of thing. You want the Luke Skywalker, me being the moisture farmer without the two hours of Actually, moisturizer yeah. farming. Yeah, no, he's not my farming moisturizer. That's <laughs> <laughs> I can hear, like I can feel Chris, Chris like in the look. other room, <laughs> sensing that something's gone wrong. You're smelling moisture. <laughs> oh, Tatooine is very dry. <laughs> Have you learned nothing from our podcasting? Nope. <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah, that was my that was my learning experience at Adventure X. Um, you the, might the... like to play some of the um, hidden object adventures. Mm. Like they are not great in terms of giving you much scope because they're very much that you have to follow a particular progression of find object, put object in other object, open chest, get thing, you know. And so it is it it ends up usually being quite linear, but it's quite interesting the ways that they flag up both things that you can interact with, but also like just make it clear the shape of a thing that you need or you know all of that stuff. Like I think that they because they're trying to cater to people who don't usually play games in the traditional sense and thus don't have that vocabulary they're actually quite good to look at in terms of what is intuitive and Mm. what is what makes a thing obvious without actually you know it stops just short of spelling it out i guess yeah Hmm. it's not a puzzle but um one of my favorite moments in grim fandango was almost the opposite of that door moment that you just described where I tried to use like a pneumatic drill on a door to open it, and um, Manny said that might be overkill considering it's not locked. <laughs> <laughs> the solution was just to use the door, but I hadn't tried using the door yeah. yet. <laughs> I mean, that's that in Tim Schafer's long list of um, puzzle design rules. That's a key point. It's allow the player to experiment, but then give feedback towards the correct solution. Yeah, hmm. yeah, like especially when what the player is trying to do reveals that they don't know something. The character does mm. like Manny knew it wasn't locked and I didn't like the fact that I'm trying to use a pneumatic drill on it <laughs> suggests to you that I don't know it's not locked <laughs> uh, yeah if you're interested in kind of point and click or puzzle design um, Dave Gilbert's and um, Alexis Kennedy's talks uh, will probably be up on YouTube at some point and they were quite good and Charles Cecil's and Jay Theolans who made um, Dropsy the Clown are just um fun and entertaining in addition uh uh at the end of charles cecil's talk someone asked him about um beyond steel sky 2 mm. and he didn't say beneath that's the steel sky sorry beneath the steel sky 2 and he didn't say that's mad what are you smoking he said <laughs> i'm not ready to talk about that yet <laughs> which is intriguing interesting uh I have not played a big new thing, really. Um, they have lots of little things to talk about, one of which is Dishonored 2. <laughs> <laughs> so we did a, a giant spoiler cast, um, uh, but obviously you won't and shouldn't listen to that if you haven't finished it. Um, and when we recorded that, I'd done two playthroughs, um, a low-chaos Emily and a high-chaos Emily, and I had not played Corvo really at all. I just started a, a Corvo playthrough. And so since then, I've played the whole game through as Corvo, with um, a particular rule set. Actually, there's a really interesting article on Eurogamer by Ollie Welsh, um, who did not like Dishonored 2 initially, and then only discovered that um, he could like it by giving himself rules. He found that without rules, I can't remember if he found it too easy or just didn't... Um, uh, it might have been something to do with the way that this game, like the previous game, sort of, with its tool set, encourages you to be immoral and then with its narrative punishes you for being immoral mm-hmm. um uh but then he just made rules for himself and started to really enjoy it and now it's, it's one of his favorite games um and so my rules were uh had to be completely undetected for the whole game i noticed there's an achievement for that so and that's kind of how i want to play anyway um and i also wasn't allowed to take anyone out except the targets um 
And it was really interesting because it was completely different to either of my two other play playthroughs. I mean, apart from Corvo's ability set being totally different, um, if you can't take anyone out, I was, for most of the game, I was being pretty strict about it where I'm just, I can't even do anything that will cause them to die, even if it's really indirect. Um, I broke that rule a few times. It wasn't really a rule. It's just kind of like my instinct. Um, but if it, if you just start from the premise of like, this guy who's in my way, I can't get him out of my way. So I'm going to have to find another way. Or I'm going to have to find, is there some window in his patrol room where I can just slip by him? Like the overseer's office um, at Karnaka Docks um, is this, like, there's overseers fucking everywhere. There's one at, like, if you go up through the balcony, um, if you want to get, like, runes, which I did. I didn't go for every bone charm this time, but I went for every rune. Cause I needed so you to were allowing powers. yourself powers on this run? Yeah, for sure. I don't think I'm ever going to do the no powers run. <laughs> that, to me, seems... Uh, insane um, but there's like a rune in a safe and there's a guy at a desk that pretty much faces the safe <laughs> and you uh, the way I usually enter that building is from the balcony behind him so when you come in you're fine because he's facing away from you but there's a guy like uh, in the corridor or in the next room kind of at a, at a conference table or something there's another guy praying at some sermons and then there's this guy at the desk and it turns out that you can more or less just kind of sneak past them all and I had to take some weird routes every now and then, like sort of doubling back and going around a room instead of through it and uh, things like that um, to get like the safe combination. The safe combinations, I think, on the guy's desk, <laughs> or at least I had to like reach past him and just kind of take the thing that he's writing. Because <laughs> when you read things in Dishonored, you take them. <laughs> and yeah. So you just got to like steal the thing that's right in front of his face and he doesn't notice. Uh, <laughs> so it's really cool to like figure out what you can and can't do with stealth. Um, and also there are so many situations where the game secretly supports you not taking anyone out. It really seems designed for it. Like, I, There's no achievement for not taking anyone out. There's achievement for not killing anyone, but that doesn't stop you from just choking everyone out, which you, is, makes the game pretty easy. Um, but yeah, it really feels like there is always a way to just get by every enemy and never be spotted and never interact with them in any way. Um, I also got Possession, which solves all problems effectively because <laughs> like whoever is going to be the problem in the situation possess them um and halfway through i started to to mess with my rule um i never attacked anyone who wasn't a target but uh there was i used a guy to get through a wall of light i possessed him walk through the wall of light and it was just before a bit where um on the other side of a door a bunch of howlers will ambush you and the guy i possessed as a guard and after I got through the wall of light, I just wanted to get rid of him. Like when you finish possessing someone, you come out of the back of them and they stagger forwards and they vomit. Um, and so you're fine for a while. They're not going to spot you no matter what you do because they're vomiting. Um, but wherever you put them, you better make sure you can kind of get out of that area pretty quickly because they're going to turn around eventually. And so the best way to do that was like, if I just go through the station, there's this door at the back and I'm just going to open that and then stand in the doorway and leave his body and that will kind of push him forwards out of the doorway. And then I can just close the door behind him. And then I remembered, oh, through that doorway, there's an ambush. <laughs> and usually it's the player who triggers that ambush. But if you just put a guard in there, guards hate howlers and howlers hate guards. <laughs> and so he got attacked by them. I'd like snuck up some staircase and um, uh, he was vomiting while they kind of attacked him. Somehow he survived and uh, he opened the door to get away from them. <laughs> Understandably, he's like, hey, some fucker closed the door after me. I got out here for some reason. And then ran back into the station with all the howlers following him. And then, of course, all the guards heard the commotion and came running after the, the noise. And two of them are just, when you go in the station, two of them arrive at the station as well via a carriage and they come down the stairs. 
And so it ended up being like a huge war inside the station where the howlers <laughs> are clashing with the guards and the more of them got involved, the more of them would run in. Um, and I think it actually counted as a kill for me because, um, uh, I don't know, I had one kill. And I don't know why. Um, but I think it was one of the people who died in that fight it sort of decided I was responsible. I was responsible for all of it. <laughs> but a lot more than one person died. But to be fair, uh, I mean, if, you, if the game is going to get slightly hoity-toity about that, then everything that happens is your fault. Yeah, because, like, you know... <laughs> Yeah. I should also get, like, positive credit for all the people that Delilah didn't kill because I ultimately took her out. <laughs> but yeah, that was really cool. Um, and I played a few more things, but maybe we should come back to me because, uh, Pip, you wanted to mention something? Oh, you just started playing Watch well, Dogs, Well, right? I mean, only briefly in that I started playing Watch Dogs 2, but I am only partway through the tutorial because... So it starts off in, it's like, hey, you're Marcus. Marcus wants to go into this building and erase the data that this company has on him. And I'm like, okay, sure. And then, you know, I think you're supposed to be being stealthy. And obviously so far I've taken out three people. And it's like, <laughs> oh, for God's sake. And then you, like, so this is all just on rooftops and in a car park and stuff. And I don't think that they're dead, but I think that's more like because... <laughs> the game sort of works in the way that they're just unconscious on the floor. It's like the Batman thing where it's like... <laughs> the... Do you have like a sock with snooker balls in it or something? It's something like that or like a yo-yo or something. It's like a weaponized <laughs> One of those thing. Um, yeah, it's like a pool ball on a string. Apparently they did a lot of um, research on self-defense methods, yeah. like low-cost self-defense. Huh. This, this won their competition. <laughs> wow. So yeah, it's kind of like a blackjack but not... I guess, I yeah, like a weapon, it's, yeah, it's a weaponized yo-yo. Basically. Yeah, and so, so that's a thing that has happened. And then I got inside the building, and you sort of hack your way in, and then it cuts to a bunch of people who are sort of watching you do this stuff, and they're like really impressed because I think your hacker name is like Retro or something, and it's like, <laughs> hey, oh it's God. that famous hacker doing hacking things. Like he he broke into this building in record time, and I'm like, yeah, I totally did that, even though it was just a cutscene <laughs> and it's nothing to do with me at all. Um, and then they sort of are clearly watching you, and it's almost it feels like maybe it's one of those bits of a game where you're auditioning and they're. they're they're going to be so impressed by the end of it that they're going to like, you know, you're going to join their hacker gang or something. I've, I really should have kept up more with what was going on in this game. Um, How did but, your playthrough go? Are they going to have to tie themselves oh in God. knots to say this guy was amazing? Yeah, well, so, so far they have been watching me as I fail to get out of the first room, which is just awful because like, so you're in the room and I think... I like the the cutscene takes out the two guards that were in that room with your yo-yo thing um and then you're just in the room and there's a locked door and you have to figure out how to get through it and it tells you that you can kind of enter like some weird like hack cam vision thing like where essentially it just goes a bit grainy and black and white and highlights things that you can hack with i don't know like your wizard powers or something um and then there's also like uh, the option you can press x to hack into cameras like security cameras and so i did that 
but I could only see myself. So I just sort of like sat in the camera watching myself for a while and was just like, okay. And I could see the objective that I was supposed to be getting to. And it's like this orange blob on the screen. And I was like, well, I can't, can't seem to do anything there. So I wandered around the room for a while and, and I found it, like, I looked at the guards and, and tried to frisk them, but because uh, I, you know, I thought maybe they've got a key card on them or something. But all it did was tell me that one of them was like a former youth worker, and the other one had like forged a bit on his resume. And I'm like, okay. Um, so I looked around for a bit, and then I tried shooting like some computers, and then I tried shooting the thing that you're supposed to be hacking, and none of this worked. <laughs> I was like, Is this okay. hacking? I know. <laughs> I was just like, right. And then I shot a donut because <laughs> I was annoyed and fed up. And then I tried like shooting like the walls and the windows because I was like, okay, sure. But the windows just made a sort of kind of like <laughs> electronic glitchy sound. I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. Um, so then I tried just hacking the door directly and that didn't work. And I'm like, there are people watching, like, how have they not just given up and found a new hacker? Like, this is ridiculous. And like... Yep, what we've done here is we've found someone who isn't a hacker. Oh my God. And then like, it turns out that you can hack into cameras that I think you can't necessarily see or that I hadn't been in the right position to see if you go into the grainy wizard vision. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, so it wasn't the right camera, but if I had been in that camera, but I think if I, like, it's so confusing. Like, this is not a good tutorial where I'm just sat here going, I don't know what happened. <laughs> but I think as far as I can ascertain, I was supposed to use Hacko vision which is what I'm going to stick with calling it because why not? Um, to find the other security camera that I could jump into, then somehow be inside that. And then you use it to look at a laptop that you then hack from your, from the camera. Mm. Like, f and I don't understand how you're doing this because I don't understand how consciousness in this game seems to work. <laughs> so it's like Driver San Francisco, where you're, and, you're in a coma and you can move your consciousness between so laptops. Stupid. And then it's like, okay, well, you've got the code now. And by that time, I was so cross that I was just like, these people shouldn't hire me. And I turned it off. <laughs> but I was just like, okay, well, and Adam at work was saying that it, it that is not a good introduction and <laughs> it does get better. So stick with it. But I think my stick with itness will need to be on a different day when I'm not so <laughs> fed up with like the entire thing but I just I don't know whether it was just bad tutorial or whether I'm like the worst person at stealth games or maybe both who knows but oh my god so yeah anyway these people watching me like this this elite hacker who is like at the top of his game <laughs> like <laughs> just shooting a donut and standing there watching himself <laughs> on security cameras there i go shooting that donut <laughs> so yeah that's been a disaster although it has like this weird thing that reminded me of um gunpoint a bit actually because you like it shows you like a white link from yourself to the thing that you're hacking or that you're oh, yeah. doing. And so <laughs> I guess it's just so that you don't get confused about the thing that you're pointing at when you're in wizard vision, maybe? Yeah. But like, yeah. I think they use it almost like a sort of cursor, like when yeah. you walk down the street, it sort of like points to whoever you would hack Something if, you, like if that. you hacked right now. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, so you've got your yo-yo kosh and your weird like stick 
consciousness thing. (laughs) (laughs) Most of electronics is lines between things. (laughs) (laughs) But I was confused and it's all gone wrong. (laughs) Uh, When's it out? Now? Today, I think. So by the time you hear this, it'll be out. Yeah, it better be out because otherwise I've probably broken a million billion embargoes (laughs) or something. No, like definitely... It's okay to talk about because loads of my friends, it's so many friends who have been talking about it and sharing videos of it and stuff that I assumed it came out like a week ago. Mm. Uh, but it turns out I just know a lot of games journalists. Yeah, I mean, it might have come out a little while ago, but I think maybe today, like maybe it was like one of those weird early things, you know, where you could pre order uh, and get it mm. before or something. Is that the last big thing this year? Is there anything else left to come out before Christmas? Um, I want to say yes, but I can't think of what it would be i thought there was something at the beginning of december all the big shooters have done their thing i might be thinking of esports stuff because there's a big Hmm. dota tournament at the very beginning of december and there's like a bunch of league of legends like pre-season stuff that's just currently in place and then the all-star and stuff so i think I think for me it feels like there are definitely things I still need to pay attention to. But um the Space Hulk, is that is oh, that yeah. big? Dunno. <laughs> so, to be seen. But that's next Friday, I think. I bet it has really acute angles. <laughs> I've heard that about Space Hulk goals. Well they should call it Space Hulk Two. <laughs> As a sequel to your offering. <laughs> uh, I also played um thing which i think you're familiar with pip are called islands yeah by, is it carl burton the yeah artist? yeah he's that's an so artist good. I've, I've been following on twitter for ages um he's got a great tumblr right uh he makes art that is often just one hue um and it will be sort of um the like a beautifully kind of shaded silhouette of some scene uh, i think i think he builds them in 3d um usually anyway and then uh, what he sort of outputs is like a gif of some kind of uh, often the scene is actually static but like the light will pulse in and out or something or there'll be something some small amount of motion like a fan will be spinning or something mm-hmm. and he did the illustrations for serial um i think maybe only season two um but their website like, for every episode they have this beautiful unique piece of art that um yeah really like sets the mood it sounds like one of those real artists <laughs> not like me who's desperately clawing trying to stay above water (laughs) (laughs) well uh you'll be glad to know that his game is arguably not a game (laughs) it will definitely have a bunch of comments on steam saying it's not a game i haven't checked but i'm sure it does uh because it's pretty much a showcase for his art i would say it's kind of it is interactive and it it sort of uh the interaction is important to it that's definitely part of it Mm. but it definitely feels like something you would find in an art museum um it's a series it of interactive vignettes i think i yeah. went with in the end <laughs> i think that the subtitles is non-places or something mm. um so that not they not games they're not even places <laughs> i would have said it wasn't a game but it is a place but it's not even a place apparently <laughs> um so there are a lot of um just scenes where you can rotate the camera around them and you can kind of click on things um it reminds me a bit of um I guess Amanita or like certain, uh, not as advanced as that, but just uh, those puzzle games where you just have to click on something in the world and it 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 causes something to happen, but you're not really controlling an avatar or anything. Um, uh, yeah, I can't remember what the games I'm thinking of actually, but um, like the Grow games maybe. Yeah, 
but it's very very simple case of that where what you have to click is almost always like a light uh, there'll just be like four lights in the scene you click each of the lights and it changes the scene in some way and then the scene kind of progresses um there's one where you sort of like you keep descending down and down this um sort of shaft and then have to like cranks and valves i think to maybe reduce the water level but it's not i wouldn't really call it puzzles it's really just like at each scene you just kind of look at it for a while and appreciate it and then you click on the thing that probably progresses it and every now and then it's not immediately obvious what to click on but then you figure it out and um, it's more it's about that, yeah like you're controlling the pace that you experience it at yeah um i like it as a sort of way of experiencing his art um i wouldn't really uh, I don't really care whether it qualifies as a game or not, but I, I wouldn't recommend it to a friend of mine who hates art museums but likes games. Mm. <laughs> I would uh, file it more in the former category. I really loved it. Like it's one of those things where, because I I think I'm just sort of attracted to the same spaces as well. Like because he called them non places, and it's because the things or rather I assume it's because the spaces are those weird transient kind of holding points rather than destinations like you've got waiting rooms and you've got hotel mm. lobbies and you've got you know mall elevators and there's one know. that's just like the sort of landing between two sets of escalators mm. and then there's just a bunch of trees there <laughs> yeah that's awesome like Is I really love that there's a snow level or possibly some mines <laughs> lava <somewhere>. world <laughs> sewer <laughs> But yeah, and it's like it reminded me a lot of Flower actually, just in the oh, sense yeah. of it being a a thing that you interact with and it's more about you feeling your way around the spaces and letting them unfold mm. gently. Um mm. Are they actual environments that you might walk around in the first person view or are they um just like scenes that So they're like they're like tableau and usually they're kind of symmetrical and so they're more like almost like a flower arrangement but with you know furniture or mm. with like office pot plants and things yeah. and so you're you're on a camera that's a fixed distance away from it generally and you can just rotate it as okay. this centerpiece mm. and then you you know you'll interact with like tom says the bits that are maybe glowing or that are quite obviously the bits that you interact with and mm. then it does other things but i quite like it because it remixes those spaces and it does unexpected things with them like you were talking about the um the escalator thing and what it is is there's a bunch of pot plants that essentially just go up the escalator in a really serious fashion and then they <laughs> stop in the middle bit and then like you do a few things and the landscape changes again and then once you're finished with that it ends with them just ascending the next part of the escalator and sort of essentially just going on with their day but it's like <laughs> so there is a kind of playful absurdity but it is really low-key it's never like look at this lol it's kind of almost like you're having weird dreams about these places and i just i don't know i really loved it um because mm. it's a, a really interesting space to be in but yeah like it's i remember i wrote about it on rps and i think one of the comments was yeah but what do you actually do <laughs> i was like <laughs> yeah the, the, i do like the the choices of the actual settings they are all places that kind of appeal to me in some way there's one that's kind of a it feels like a 
hotel lobby or something, and I think there's a staircase or something in the middle. But it's a bunch of like basically coffee tables and chairs and lamps and things. And um, the interaction is you just kind of click on them and they just raise up. They just get mm. taller and taller. And then once you've got them all to a certain level, I think maybe does the water level rise? Yeah. Or something? Yeah, it floods. Um, like it, and then they go just, up and then the water level rises to meet them and then you make them go up again yeah, and it goes up again. It's higher and higher. And it's weird how it changes the feel of the space. It starts out with a very familiar and then becomes very alien. Yeah. I think towards the end of that one, you sink under the water and you see, like, maybe the roots of the place. Hmm. But I can't quite remember. But yeah, I think there's about, like, ten different scenes. Is it accompanied by sound or music? It's got a really lovely soundscape that is kind of more based around um, the incidental sounds you would find in those kinds of spaces. So you get like ambient noise, like you would get in one of those cavernous, like hotel lobbies, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of weird echoey sound of people talking where you can't make any of it out. Or like there's the sound of like one of those dot matrix style, like receipt printers. And there's like, like just lots of bleeps and bloops that like you kind of don't consciously register but if someone plays them to you you're like oh that's the noise that the grocery till makes or that's <laughs> the noise that like my car makes when you leave the door open and you've mm. still got the headlights on or you know it's the, those kinds of sounds shall we do questions yes yes let's do that um deacon writes hi i have heard you guys talk about phobias getting triggered by vr games it gave me an idea where you could play a specific minigames to confront your phobias without actually putting yourself in those situations. I'm terrified of heights. Uh, uh, I'm going to say a tightrope over chasm. <laughs> I think it just says a tight over chasm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or between two high buildings would be impassable. <laughs> Not impossible, but impassable. Uh, but I would do it if I knew I wasn't going to die. Uh, what would be the most terrifying game you can think of? Thanks, Deacon. Um, it... That would be interesting for him to try because actually <laughs> VR heights are a lot like real heights in terms of your physical reaction to them. So it, it can be genuinely difficult to sort of put yourself in a perilous situation in VR. Like one of the first uh, sort of striking experiences that a lot of people have is if you put them in a game where it's possible, like technically possible for them to walk in real space into a bit that would be walking off a cliff in the virtual world, they kind of can't do it. Like, it's just really hard to put one foot in front of the other. Um, so it might almost, almost be too convincing. Mm. Yeah, it's harder than you'd think, although it depends on the game and on your state of mind. Like, cause there have been times when I've just been, like, trying to break the game almost and just sort of stepped off a thing just right. to see what happened because... Mm. I could still very much sense the room that I was in, whereas other games have maybe been a bit easier to forget the space I was in and I'd bumped into stuff. So I'm not sure what it was that made some more um, believable than others. I think I've seen the, is it called The Crossing? Where you type rope between two skyscrapers. Oh, sure. Mm. That's a VR experience. And I've seen that... um, with industrial fans blowing at you. Oh, well. God. <laughs> Wasn't there like a viral like YouTube video a while back of people trying to play that experience where you go out on a plank uh, to save a cat, but like the plank is like going uh, off yeah, the side of a building like and you've got a steep and... drop mm. or something. And mm. so you sort of see all of these people feeling 
unable to move to either side but I'm not sure how much of that is feeling unable to but and how much is playing the game if you see what I mean because you go in and and if that's the experience then like you have to choose to go along with it or you break it Mm. so I guess I don't know how much of that was actual like discomfort and how much was you know buying into the experience my fear is whales the creature not the place (laughs) um and if you made a vr experience where like a giant sea creature moved below you uh, but isn't that the blue yeah so that that, it's interesting actually because that uh, i don't know if it was the blue but when i first tried the vive at valve that was there was a thing where you're on a shipwreck and a, a whale goes past. Yeah, that and is I the blue. Turned around and, and saw it, and I was not at all scared. It was just kind of like, oh, that's cool. Like, it was really impressive, and I, w- I was marveling at the technology, but I wasn't afraid for my life, I think, because I'm very um, in game mode. I think, mm. that, I think actually maybe the heights is unique in this way, and that there's something completely primal about it. Although, having said that, the other thing I was going to say about this is that um, I know uh, the aforementioned Richard Cobbett uh, is arachnophobic, and if there are spiders in just a regular game, not a VR game, he can't play it. Like, it's just like uh, there are people make mods to take spiders out of games just so that arachnophobes can play them because mm. it can be so um, paralyzing that the, the whole thing is, is ruined by the very presence of even a 2D spider. <laughs> so. I don't think VR would help in that way. Like, if that's already too much to be immersion therapy or whatever it is, um, then VR would be definitely too much. Hmm. There's that thing called flooding, though, isn't there? Like the the thing where you present someone Flood with so with much spiders. of the thing. Well, yeah, present someone with so much of the thing that they're afraid of that it sort of overloads them, and they sort of, you know, it's it, it's <laughs> a kind your of brain. I don't know. It's like it feels like it's the psychological e- equivalent of getting a kid to smoke ten packs of cigarettes so that they'll never do it again, kind of thing. Like, but, I was already scared of cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like it's weird because the thing that I get freaked out about with VR is that there's someone in the room with me. But oh, that's a thing where, like, because I hate playing VR when I'm in the house on my own. Because I, I, so you're screwed either way. Like, well, this is I, you think there's someone in the room with you, or there isn't. Or well, there it's is. because it's sensory deprivation, and so I have no way of knowing whether someone's come into the house yeah. or whether you know. And so every now and again, I'll find myself just suddenly panicking and like huh. taking the headset off because I need to just double check that I'm alone or that there aren't any ghosts or anything i guess um yeah and so that but that's not really a phobia that vr can help with it's more a thing that it causes but isn't related specifically to it being virtual reality Mm. i played a vr game i play tested a vr game um for a developer friend of mine uh, a little while back um, and that's a difficult experience because VR is all about immersion and playtesting. You sort of need to be able to hear the people who are whose game it is, so they can tell you, "Oh, that's not meant to happen," or "Don't yeah. try that." Um, and so, I, like for a while, I had one headphone on and one headphone off, but they also wanted me to be like immersed in the game. So uh, I think eventually I put both headphones on, um, and uh, I kept telling them like I've ever sort of sensed they were talking to me. I'd just say like, "I literally can't hear you." So like, yeah. if you need me to do something, like take me out of this. How hard um, would it and be then, to set up like their microphones? It would be so super easy. I don't know why they didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about suggesting afterwards, like if you just had a mic plugged into this PC, you could just talk to me like a 
as if it's voice comms or something. Um, but then, like, the end of the experience, I kind of hit a bug. Um, like, just a visual glitch. Visual glitches are weird in games anyway, but, like, in VR, they're super weird because they look completely real. And so I'm just fascinated by this thing. Actually, if you've used the spell Mesmerized in Dishonored 2, <laughs> everyone just stops and stares at this thing and they can't stop looking at it. And they afterwards, they don't even remember they've done it. They're just, like... Um, I listened to one of their voice lines um, uh, that was just... Uh, even just looking at it, I feel ashamed. <laughs> and so I'm staring at this glitch and I'm just kind of trying to interact with it and trying to do everything with it. And then, you know that scene in movies where like someone's having a weird experience and then uh, like the, the person in the weird experience is like, Jed, Jed, Jed. And then they wake up and like there's someone in their room yelling, Jed, Jed, wake yeah. up. Um, I had that <laughs> because I was interacting with this weird thing. Like, like for I feel like a full minute at least I was looking at this thing and interacting with it, and then like I had this faint like voices saying, "Tom, Tom, Tom, <laughs> it's over. Stop. It's over. It's over. That's the end of the demo." Oh my god! Can you imagine them like in the playtesting feedback afterwards? It's like make the game about that thing. <laughs> like that was fascinating. He loved it. <laughs> yeah, this isn't VR, but thinking about saturation therapy. Um, whether you're scared of snakes or not, you should play Room of a Thousand Snakes, <laughs> which is the finest, one of the finest three minutes in gaming. Just full stop. <laughs> Who is that by? I feel like I know. I'm not sure. The people. But Steve Gaynor champions it, champions it quite a lot. Mm. Is it maybe Ben Esposito, Tora Horse on Twitter, um, who does the Donut County? We could put a link to this in the show oh, yeah. notes. <laughs> I'll look it down we have solutions. <laughs> I have not made notes in a while. So. <laughs> Room of a thousand sinks. Uh, what other questions do we have? Michael Hanrahan uh, writes, When playing Deus Ex Mankind Divided recently, I became fascinated with the way that the RFID cards appeared shortly in front of the reader to indicate it was being scanned successfully, so much that I took the TF27 lift up and down multiple times when I noticed it first. What is your favourite tiny little detail in a video game? Dictated but not read, Michael. Uh, so he's talking about it, when you use a kind of keycard reader in Deus Ex, it does this weird thing where it kind of slaps a keycard onto the reader for a minute, and it doesn't, it's not animated. It doesn't sort of like, you're not holding the keycard. Okay. It just appears on it for like a second and then vanishes again. Huh. Um, I noticed this too, and it really stood out to me. I think it stood out to me because it didn't feel convincing, or like to me, it seemed really weird and unnatural. But it is, it is kind of satisfying. You definitely feel like using it. Oh, I tell you what, actually, um, I didn't have an answer to this when I read the question, but I just remembered that <laughs> the keycard readers in System Shock Two feel so nice to use. You okay. don't see a card or anything; it's just a keycard reader, and there's, there's clearly a groove where the card goes. And when you use it, you hear a card being slid through one of these things, and you hear this really satisfying kind of. Um, mm. And the light goes green instead of red. And even though you don't see anything at all, the sound is good enough that it just feels really good. <laughs> uh, there's a couple of things, one of which I might be imagining. <laughs> but um, uh, in Battlefield 2, um, the reload animation for the AK was a really nice little thing where um, the where your left hand brings up uh, the magazine and pushes it forward so that it clips the mag release and the magazine and knocks it out the way in one smooth huh. motion, and then just pops it in and then cocks it. I wonder if that's something you can do in real life. I think it probably is, but it's just a really nice little touch. 
Mm. And there's also in, I think, the original Broken Sword is one of my favourite adventure game jokes of all time, where George Stobart picks up a theodolite, which is uh, a small device on top of a man-high tripod, and he just... I remember him as kind of looking briefly at the camera as a kind of fourth wall breaking thing and then just picking up this whole thing, collapsing it and putting it in one of his inside pockets. <laughs> <laughs> but that might have just been a dream. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely a bit of Monkey Island where you pick up a ladder and if yeah. Guy Bush just opens his coat and just feeds the ladder into his coat <laughs> until it's all gone. <laughs> You're allowed one of those per adventure. <laughs> <laughs> there is, um, uh, I wouldn't really call this like a small detail because it's a whole puzzle. But in Monkey Island 1, my favourite puzzle is when you are tied to like, I want to say like an anvil uh, and thrown in a river to mm. drown. And you're, it's a whole scene. You can walk around and you have all the usual verbs and you have your inventory and stuff. Um, and the solution is to pick up the anvil. Because <laughs> in adventure games, you'd like, you can just pick shit up. And put it in your Once you picked it up, of course, it's weightless. So now you can just walk away. <laughs> and it's like, you have, to, you have to grasp why this joke doesn't make sense in order to or why the solution to the puzzle doesn't make sense in order to solve the puzzle. Mm. I really like idle animations, generally. Like, oh. I'll usually make... If there's a character on screen, I'll usually see what they do if you leave them alone for long <laughs> enough, just mm. to sort of see either whether it's just a simple looping thing or whether there's anything special that happens, because sometimes there's, like, if it's been idling for a long, long time, it'll do something like, um, I can't remember the specific games, but I know at one point there's a character that gets out like a Game Boy when they get like bored <laughs> waiting for you <laughs> to interact with them, things like that. Um, like others will just sort of sit down after a while and that will become the <laughs> idle animation. And then when you interact with them, there's like a pause because they have to like, <laughs> get back up again and, you know, go through all of that kind of rig Role. I think, I think maybe one of the Simon the Sorcerers, or it was maybe that kind of era, would like pretend to tap on the screen and it would make that noise of tapping on glass. <laughs> um, so that was pretty cool. And also just the little. What if a fish was playing the game though? Uh, fish, you're not supposed to tap on the glass when you're having That's a true. Oh, so -so but I don't know. Really I don't think those rules apply fish. to the fish. <laughs> like, I think it's like a one-way interaction. They're fine. But <laughs> the, Simon is, is tapping on your monitor, right? Yeah. So, in effect, <laughs> if the <laughs> the fish was playing underwater. <laughs> oh, so if you were the fish. It, yeah, the, the player oh, okay. of the game is the fish. Yeah. They they felt like Simon was. Uh, well, I think it glass. would depend if they were responding more to the vibrations. Yeah. Why? Like, why are you not supposed to tap on the glass? Is it because you vibrate? I mean, sound is vibration, right? Yeah. So I don't know, like maybe it's specifically, like it's louder than just normal background noise and it's direct contact, mm. isn't it? So it's probably a stronger vibration. Yeah. But I don't know. And also it's probably just not great, like having little like sticky fingerprints all over the glass, you know, yeah. in an aquarium. Um, anyway, but yeah. And so, oh, I was going to say the, the idle, in, uh, not idle, but like the incidental animations on inside earlier this year were really great. Mm. Like there's little moments like where the boy will respond to the environment in kind of just nice ways that were clearly extra work, but pay off in the sense that it feels like he's in an environment that is different from a previous one rather than, um, 
just being queued up to respond in a certain way to, you know, a wall of any kind. Like there's mm. one where you come to a, a door with a glass window and he sort of presses his nose up against it, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing, rather than just going, oh, it's a wall of any yeah. kind and turning around. This is, um, when you said idle animation, I realised this isn't one, but uh, it's also not one of my favourite details. It's just a weird detail. But in Deus Ex uh, 1, when you're talking to someone, they have a sort of general conversation animations and they're usually just like the mouth moves and uh, there's minimal body animation. But they obviously felt like the body needs to move at some point, like people just standing statically doesn't work. And so I think it's only JC who does this, but in the middle of a conversation, he will just kind of raise both hands and sort of like move them up and down relative to each other. <laughs> it's a really weird gesture. That, and he just, it feels like he does it at random intervals during what he's saying, but it kind of changes the inflection of what he's saying. Yeah. It's like he's making a weird gesture of like busyness or something. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. like this. Like two things moving together. Like maybe he's just enacting something. Like, or driving <laughs> yeah. a car, almost. Maybe yeah. it's that. But- well, so when I, um, whenever I upload a, a, a devlog video, um, which is just me talking to camera, the thumbnail that YouTube picks always end up being me holding my two hands apart <laughs> as if I'm trying to illustrate that two things are far apart. I don't remember ever doing this or why I would ever need to illustrate that, but apparently that's the only gesture I do. You're so doing it right to, now. Like, <laughs> well, I'm illustrating that gesture. So. Oh but I feel like God. if you wanted to like just, you know, with minimal animation sets, um, simulate mm. the experience of me talking, <laughs> it would be quite easy. One of the most annoying things, though, is once you start being aware of idle animations to that extent, you can really easily see when people do it wrong because <laughs> breathing is something that people get really wrong. Like, sometimes you'll get, like, just where the chest moves far too much or where it, like, seems to move the rest of their body almost. <laughs> like, everything is rigged to the extent that, you know, a tiny breath movement means that I don't know that the middle finger is like raised up or uh, that's a weird example because it makes it sound like they're swearing at you <laughs> you know like it's just that interconnectedness feels weird like nothing can move in isolation or like sometimes with female characters they move and their boobs just start jiggling and you're just like oh for god's sake you know it's like breathe in flap 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 <laughs> just like oh my god so yeah I, that can I be feel weird. like um Pixel art games in particular tend to exaggerate their sort of idle breathing. Mm. Like a platformer character, I feel like I can imagine uh, many of them uh, just standing there and kind of like their whole chest and head and arms are just bouncing up and down like multiple pixels. Yeah. <laughs> like 10% of their height. I, I kind of have to defend that a little bit because um, when you have so few pixels making up a character, Changing a yeah. single pixel represents almost like, yeah, like you said, ten to twenty percent of like yeah. the total movement they can make. It's very hard <laughs> Unless to do. That, very you can't show anything at all. I right? think yeah. I tend to give pixel art games a pass for pretty much. Yeah, that it's something that bothers me. I mean, like. They also do, like, blinking is easier for that as well, because you obviously just change, like, two pixels to pink, essentially, (laughs) but, like, or to brown or to whatever else. But, like, it's that sort of, I guess you start looking at what you can do with the resources you have available. So I guess if you've got less, like it suddenly becomes about, do I move the shoulders? What happens then? Like, do I need to move the arms? Because he's now got freakishly long arms. Like, <laughs> how about the knees? Do the knees need to somehow yeah. be involved in all of this? <laughs> how about the hair? There's all, kind of, all kinds of hacks um, 
that um, were employed during the kind of PlayStation era for 3D models. Like, if you could go back and see some of their animations, like blinking in slow motion, mm. they're horrible non-Euclidean nightmares. <laughs> but because they happen so fast, they you kind of register them as the correct movement. Well, it's like when you sort of see cats blink in slow motion and you realise they've got that secret second set of eyelids <laughs> oh, that Jesus. sort of comes out from the sides. Mm. And you're like, what the hell's wrong with you? Oh, okay, no, you've always <laughs> done that. That's weird. <laughs> hmm. um, Wednesday Sophia writes, You're a lovely podcast and I like you all equally. <laughs> this is going to be contradicted by something <laughs> they say later. <laughs> Uh, recently, my friends and I have made a habit of organising medium-sized parties for group plays of games including Firewatch, Lady Killer in a Bind, and Her Story. The energy of the room has a way of really pushing the feeling of the game. Do you have any recommendations of games that you think would be especially fun or spicy for groups? Um, spicy? There's two parts of this email, so maybe we'll answer this one first before we go on to the rest. Spicy. Uh, so... I have mentioned this on the podcast before, but we have played FTL as a group and it works really well uh, with like one person at the helm and then they, for every decision, you ask people to vote and you can sort of like, there are times when it's pretty obvious what to do. I can't remember how many decisions I really did without taking a vote, but there were, it's definitely, it, there wasn't like a problem where like, oh, is this worth taking a vote on or anything? It was pretty clear as to when it should be a vote and when it shouldn't. Um, and that whole game is really just a series of like, should we do X or Y? And so it's quite easy just to say, you know, do we, the, the slavers want one of our crew members, do we do it or not? And of course everyone votes no. <laughs> attack the slavers. You always attack the slavers. Um, and it was really fun. It worked really well. I think maybe, um, like, didn't Chris and Marsh play Until Dawn together? So, like, that mm. kind of, yeah, like, mm. making decisions and... Yeah, I bet stuff like Life is Strange and maybe Walking Dead. Yeah, I was going to say maybe some of the Telltale stuff. Um, yeah, like basically anything where the actual act of pressing buttons or like doing the thing isn't the main mm. point of it. Like yeah. I remember when we played it on PS4 rather than PC, um, I put Chris in charge of doing the movement of um, everybody's gone to the rapture because it annoyed me so much on that platform <laughs> and we sat and it was actually really enjoyable playing it on the sofa together because it was just like it became for me about watching this story unfold and like getting to like say hey what's over there at various points and he him like I think the interaction was you know it wasn't annoying to him and then I played it on PC separately and somehow it seemed to click a bit better but like, I think those things where it's, yeah, like you get to be part of choosing how the story unfolds is... Yeah. It if helps. it's not things like couch co-op or stuff like that, I guess things like the Yorg mm. or Long Live the Princess. Mm. Actually, with the Yorg, you actually can play multiplayer, right? Does it I'm not have... sure. Yeah, like I've played it multiplayer. So, like, do you have multiple controllers or you take it in turns or...? I think we had it with multiple controllers. Like, because you all decide how to spend your time, really, isn't it? Like, there's chunks of time, and then you decide I'm going to spend them in the yeah, like church. it might. I can't remember because it was quite late in the evening at that point. But we played it as part of, like Brendan Caldwell put on like a a multiplayer like little games tournament thing, mm. and we played Nidhogg as like that was the main tournament. Mm. But mm. we also had 
the org and we had Starwall and you know like those kinds of things um, we should, yeah. um Star Wars really good yeah, mm. I think that's my favorite um you know actual party multiplayer adversarial game I like, love it's that so game dramatic so much. And so <laughs> Um, the slowdown is like as you get near someone's yeah. heart with your your horn. I know it ends with like usually a duel between two people, and it, it's so tense for everyone else to watch. Like it, I almost enjoy watching that as much as I. Yeah. Okay. We should um maybe on New Year's we should do a uh, a party like this, not for not for versus games so much as collaborative games. If we can play something, yeah. that we can kind of like all vote on something. So if if you listeners have any suggestions for this, yeah. <laughs> That would so, be cool. I mean, Wednesday says, Firewatch, Lady Kid on a Bind, and Her Story. Her Story, I think I've said this on the pod before, but I had my family play that. Yeah. Uh, having played it through myself alone and knowing all the secrets and things, um, it was really interesting to watch them go through it. And uh, I would just ask them what they want me to search for, and I would search for it. And, of course, I know what they should be searching for. And it's fascinating to hit because they say their theories out loud, of course, and their theories are sort of wildly wrong yeah. <laughs> for a lot of it. And then I actually had to help them in the end because they just... There was some huge detail that I knew they just hadn't got. They just didn't know what happened on this one night and it was vital. Um, and it got to the point where they were just kind of stumped and they didn't know what to ask next. And I'm like, you should maybe think about yeah. <laughs> asking this. I remember I used to play the Simon the Sorcerer games with my brother and sister. Like, we'd all crowd around the monitor and, you know, like one of us would be doing the input, but it would just be like, okay you know use this on this no you should do you know like we, we should be on the other screen doing this thing or you know and like we we oh. muddled our way through and that was pretty cool we should do mask this way hmm because that's uh that is a game that is entirely decisions um yeah i wonder about actually sorcery i don't have played it but it's basically like a choose your own adventure right yeah hmm. i mean yeah, it literally is a choose your own adventure works. isn't it you choose the direction that you explore in and various critical kind of plot points Maybe you could do it with any like of the sort of more fleshed out choicey twine games or, you know, interactive fiction in general. You know, mm. you'd be able to to pick particular things. I think some of the winners of If Comp 2016 were detective games. So that might be a kind <laughs> of gather round and do. But then again, like it might be a bit of a pain because of the input systems for some of them. Like if they're parser based, it's like type this, no, <laughs> type this, you know. You'd have to prune your game selection or prepare it quite a lot. Or you might end up playing Depression Quest <laughs> and really bring the party down. <laughs> uh, the second part of Wednesday's question is for Pip. Pip, I just wanted Hello. you to know that you're my favourite. Yes! <laughs> I said that everyone is equal on this podcast. You get one uh, Pip loyalty point on your <laughs> Pip loyalty card. I really appreciate how you focus <laughs> on aspects and feelings in games that most people don't. I feel like you expand my way of thinking about video games every time I hear you speak. Aww. That said... Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> no, stop reading. That, the, the letter ends there. This is a roller coaster. This is... <laughs> Uh, when you sign off at the end of the podcast, it sounds like you are embroiled in something called the Philippa War. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I got it right that one time, and I then can, Chris got really, like, I just nickety. I, so I read this email ahead of time, and I just realized I, mis I misunderstood this. I thought that uh, they were talking about when we all say, thanks for listening, everybody. Like, that's the Philippa War, when everyone <laughs> is just, like, shouting over each other. But they're actually talking about when you try and spell your own name. Oh, really? I thought it was like when I signed off and did the, like, oh, when to you host all and of you have the... to remember all the bits. Oh, there are God. many calamities that happen at the end of these podcasts. <laughs> like, my, whole, my whole being is just one small calamity <laughs> after another, really. I can only assume that you have, that you, 
It says Habe recording this podcast. Uh, have? Okay, I'll just read it. <laughs> I can only assume that you Habe recording this podcast over Skype from a combat zone. Ah, oh, so maybe. have, I guess, have been... But anyway. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Please be careful. Games journalism would not be the same without your charming observations. Yeah, let's go with any excuse that makes it sound like I'm not just forgetting anything that is happening or my own name at any given point. It's because I don't call myself Philippa in most scenarios. I call myself Pip and that's how most people refer to me. It's only Philippa when I'm like trying to be businesslike or when I'm in trouble with my parents. (laughs) And then everyone calls you Phil in like, PR emails oh my god in PR emails but also in previous jobs like just because I was experimenting <laughs> with nicknames at the time and I was just like why well, don't like I really hated being Pipper and that seemed to be what they were gearing yeah, towards right. and I was like no we're gonna cut this off at the pass and I'm gonna be <laughs> Phil because you can't get to Pipper from that <laughs> so there are a few people still in my life who call me Phil still <laughs> but it's always slightly weird because like it's it's just phased out you so didn't much. try and break completely out and say call me Obsidian <laughs> <laughs> that would have been amazing. Obsidian war. <laughs> I don't know what I would be if I like picked a. Well, no, because you know, there's that thing where like there was a like, what would your name be, or what would you choose your name to be if you had the same initials, but it was like a gender swap thing. Like, was a meme oh, yeah. that went round on I think Facebook like years and years ago, and I decided I'd be Patrick Wonderful, and that's kind <laughs> of like the name that I've always wanted to sort of have secretly. So it's it that might be, it's going to be useless as a pseudonym now because I've said it out loud. But yeah, Talia Fitzpatrick for me. <laughs> ah. Roberts, what is yours? <laughs> no, I'm going to uh, avoid the rules of your competition and just call myself um, Justin Hawkins. <laughs> From the is, darkness. Uh, uh, also a concept artist name. I... Who I thought was just too cool. There was, cool. I mean, so at Future, obviously there's Tim Stone, a great writer, uh, whose name is pretty cool already, but then you find out his middle name is Falcon. <laughs> Tim <laughs> Falcon Stone. Amazing. And then there's uh, someone in the post room at Future called Nick Fear. <laughs> or you always thought, like, man, when the zombies break out, he's the protagonist. <laughs> like, none of us the protagonists. It's Nick Fear. I want him and Nick Fury to be friends. <laughs> Nick Fear and Nick Fury. <laughs> All of the emotions. Nick Fear's always running away and Nick Fury's <laughs> like, Nick for fuck's dwarves. sake, Nick. <laughs> Come on. Um, Thomas writes Dear cartographers and coordinates Video games often have maps that help the player traverse digital worlds Good maps are rarely noticed because they do what they are supposed to But bad maps uh, For example, due to needle Wait (laughs) These are hard emails to read I'm not fucking this up, these are just weird, weirdly spelled Bad maps due to needless abstraction UI elements, etc Can cause near endless amounts of frustration So the question is What's the Potter's worst or best example of virtual spatial representation? Cheers, Thomas. I, I hate the maps which make you draw them yourselves. I'm like, you fuckers. <laughs> That's, you had, like, one job. There's there's a definite, like, um, uh, intentional thing in many games where they will give you a map but not say where you are on it. Like, so Deus Ex did this where if you had a map, it was just like a... F- a Polaroid photo in your inventory and you could just look at it and squint at it and try and figure it out from there. And most recently, Dishonored 2 does this where um, every time you get a map, it's just like there's physically a map um, on a, 
uh, part of the wall and when you look at it it's kind of it is saved to your inventory so you can look at it later but it doesn't say where you are and it doesn't say where your objective is it's just like uh this is the office and this is the security room um and it sounds cool in theory in practice it is meant that maps have never been of any use to me whatsoever i just <laughs> i study them i try and figure it out but i just can't i don't know what eight is i don't know if i'm at eight i can't tell from looking at this room whether this is the bottom left corner of this map or not um, See, this and is so I just my them. example of a good map, like this, <laughs> which is the Thief Dark Age, which is basically exactly that. Right. This is um, Garrett's sketches of whatever place he's breaking into based on whatever intel he's found. And it doesn't mark your exact position, so it's up to you to try and work out where you are on these maps and then navigate from that. My favourite, I mean, the time when it really works for me is I, I played through Dishonored um, with the objective markers on the first time mm. uh, so it would tell me where to go because I tr tried them with them off and it was just like Jesus Christ I just have no idea and if you're playing stealthily it can take ages to get anywhere so if you, you spend an hour getting across the map and then realise you, you went to the wrong side of the map it's kind of um, a huge waste of time uh, and now on subsequent playthroughs I can leave those objective markers off because I already know I know these places well enough that I know where the objective is. And to me, that's like the perfect map. It's just I know where the objective is just because I know this map. And like at that point, I never need to check anything. And I just have this instinctive sense of where everything is. And that's really nice. I like as a kind of compromise between the things that you've both said, actually, like the ones where the map is actually integrated into the world. And so you see it almost as one of those um, fire exit kind of things, which says you are here and then just has the layout yeah. of the building. Mm. Like if, if they're done well, it can feel like it's a really useful tool that actually tells you where you are in space in this representation of this space is... rather um but also it tells you you know it, it, if it's done well it feels like it's actually just a part of the world that would have existed without you being there and needing guidance i yeah this is a good point because dishonored 2 does this like the maps that i'm getting my inventory they're on a wall in the place mm. but when I look at them on the wall page, it doesn't tell me where I am. <laughs> That's what I want from it. Or maybe, I suppose it's possible that it... Because you use it and then it gets saved to your inventory. So my instinct is check it in my inventory because it's a higher res oh, okay. version of it. May, I suppose it's possible that actually it does say where you are if you look at it in the world. But I assumed what it copies to my inventory is what I'm actually mm. seeing. But I guess I should check whether that is it's true. worth having a look. But yeah, like I just... If it just told me where I am, yeah. that'd be a huge help. <laughs> I mean, obviously that doesn't work always in games. Like it works when something's an office or, you know, like essentially a building that people might need that information. But, yeah. you know, you'd be hard pressed to find a use for it in Proteus or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I like, actually, Half-Life 1 did a good job of this. Like in the, um, uh, the whole facility, it would have like colour-coded things for i can't remember what the places were but like you know lab one would be it would say lab one in yellow and it have a yellow line going to the left and if you just followed the yellow line this is how they do it in like hospitals and ikea i think <laughs> yeah <laughs> um there's just lines that you can just follow and it is literally an unbroken they do it on paddington station to guide you to the uh circle line and oh, yeah. the um yeah because it's a fucking huge trek oh hammersmith and city is a huge trek from like it's because it's the bit that isn't the normal um entry because that takes you to that does take you to some bits of the circle line but also like bakerloo and all of that business but like there's a whole other platform that's like pretty far away and that you wouldn't naturally find so you can yeah. follow these like lines across the the platform it's i got like totally fucked by that system thing. because um, 
<laughs> I got off my train, having come from Bath, and then I went. I wanted to go on the Hammersmith City Line, so I went in that direction. You kind of double back on yourself, and you go up some stairs, and then you go through those ticket barriers. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, I'm entering the underground now. I'll use my Oyster card. Use my Oyster card. It charged my entire journey from Bath to London to my Oyster card. So it just charged me like 40 quid to my Oyster card. So my Oyster card was like negative 35 pounds. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, it would have charged, like, yeah, hang on. I don't know how it would have done that. Because, like, yeah, it's if you use your Oyster card to exit and it hasn't got a start point. Yeah then it freaks out and is like it charges you the maximum amount for right. that journey so like because it wouldn't yeah, have it wouldn't been, know where i come from bath right it would just because be it like, doesn't have to know where you came but from it but it wasn't fucking london <laughs> i think it would have just assumed okay well you could have come from anywhere so i will charge you like the maximum yeah. amount so it's that thing of like that's why they're like be careful when they introduced the um you know the the tappers you pay but for um oh, yeah. for your contactless you bank your card because like people would sometimes forget they would sign in with their oyster card and then sign out with their mm. bank card and Ooh. so the oyster card wouldn't know that they'd completed the journey so they would charge <laughs> them like the maximum am- amount on that for like a roaming fare for the day and then the bank card would be like well i don't know where you've come from <laughs> so i'll charge you the maximum on this as well so i think my favorite map-based experience in games reeling it back in Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> there was a one question. that's almost certain to never happen again, and that's um, the paper map that came with Morrowind. Oh yeah, which listed a bunch of shrines and ruins which did not appear on the in-game map. <laughs> oh, that's cool. So you would be off adventuring, and on your paper map you would see there was some sort of Dwemer ruin, um, and then you would have to navigate from where you are in the world and say, "I have to go." I have to travel north until I hit this big mushroom and then west <laughs> until I find this like creek or river and then north again and then actually mm. navigating quite that way. But it's almost certain to never happen again. <laughs> that is really cool. I've never though. used it, but the one that looked really cool to me um, <laughs> was uh, the division. Uh, when you summon the map in that, in mm. the video they showed at least, it would the map would be projected around you on the ground, so around your feet. And mm. the place that you're standing in real life is also the place you're standing in the map. Oh, so it'd okay. be like the world just shrunk and was at your feet. Um, and that's cool because like, that's obviously like, you know, uh, strengthens the relation between the map and the real world, which is well, the virtual world, um, which is the main thing you need from a map. But it also made me laugh because it reminds me of uh, when friends goes to london <laughs> and they get lost and joey and chandler are arguing about directions and uh and they like they're looking at the map but they can't figure out like which direction they're facing or whatever and so joey has to like put the map on the floor and then like jump on it to just, like, i need to be in the map <laughs> oh man actually you saying that um you john saying that the the map thing might just you know have been consigned to history mm. maybe with kickstarter it could be like one of the backer rewards mm. and something you can That'd imagine because be like fail better are definitely like looking at what to do for their sunless skies stuff because they have that like questionnaire on the website and stuff and like some of it is if we use this particular company for our backer rewards, what would you think? <laughs> and so, like, which led to me checking out that company and being like, wait, what? Because they sell gaming themed scented candles. <laughs> and so some of them are kind of like quite 
nice and sort of vaguely sensible things. Like I think there's like a pine scented one that is like Hyrule Forest and mm. stuff. <laughs> like that's the thing. But then there's like mana potion scented and like black mage <laughs> scented. And you're just like, okay. And one of them was like sea salt ice cream scented. And I'm like, that's not that's not a it's game not a thing, game. is it? Like, it's not I don't, nice. either. I well, I didn't, I didn't really understand. And then there was the Poffin Bakery, which sounded like it might be a euphemism for farting. Um, <laughs> but where was I going? Oh, yeah, but they also were, like, asking what people maybe be more inclined to get from, like, a, you know, Kickstarter reward tiers and stuff. So, like, in all seriousness, it might be worth, like, putting that in the suggestions mm. bin for that game because, like, you could see that sort of thing working for Sunless yeah. Seas-ish. I think as part I mean, of you'd the find stuff as Sunless you went, sea but... Kickstarter rewards, they put out some sort of map, mm. which is odd because they randomised right. the yeah. <laughs> Well, I think maybe... Did they not randomize the the names of the backers like wasn't there a special <laughs> map where like it gave you like the the names of the things like when you first come out of fallen london onto the the sea like it's bad Stevener's abyss mm. isn't it and so maybe it was a map with just those place names yeah. or uh. something or maybe it was just like a standard one. They just map. hit generate and then print. Who knows? <laughs> no Man's Sky should come with a map of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> every time they patch it, they have to issue a new cloth map. <laughs> oh, God. Can 16 you imagine, kilometers though, square. But, like, everything would need to be at such a scale. It would be like, now that we've mentioned Friends, do you remember when they got the tattoos and Phoebe's was like a tiny dot because she was scared of the needle, but she was like, it's how my mum views my the world from heaven. <laughs> So maybe it would just be like a collection of dots. <laughs> <laughs> they should, if you wanted to do a map of like a 3D space, you just have three maps. One's the X <laughs> side, and one's the Y side, and one's the Z side. And then you just, what, sellotape it onto a cube? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People just have to hang it up in their own house, however they choose. <laughs> like in the, preferably in the top left corner of their room. <laughs> nice. Or you could like shear off like a, the, the thing like if you cut a cube in half but like along the vertices so you end up with a prism mm -hmm. so you could like strap it to the wall so it had three faces protruding <laughs> and meeting at a point so you've got essentially a pyramid <laughs> like you could then have the things on the side that were yep. or you can um you can actually have things engraved into like perspex cubes you know like you can oh, use yeah. like, lasers that's to... what no man's crush should yeah. come with yeah or like that's what any 3d game should have like it should perspex, have your home like a one base. meter perspex cube <laughs> your home base should arrive in one meter squared format perspex cube <laughs> that you then don't know what to do with <laughs> yeah i wonder if we um you want to make something like that. Like, 3D printing would be great if it could print transparent stuff. Mm. I don't know if it can. I'm assuming it can't, but, it, like, once it can, it would be great. Because you could sort of print anything, you know, all the things that you can't currently do with 3D printing because, the, you know, this part of it is hovering mm. in space and isn't attached to the rest. You could do it if you had some kind of transparent substrate that you could put it all in and then yeah. create this kind of beautiful... Well, it's that thing scheme. of, like, well, yeah. you could probably do it like people do for... Um 
for like paperweights and things. Paperweights. Yeah, where Work you just on the have kind of um, ra- radiogram principle where you have three lasers that superimpose at a single pixel. Oh yeah, mm. and then they shift around. Yeah, and they can. Mop and like up. the intensity is only enough where they cross that exactly. it burns. That's yeah. how you get like those um, little glass like souvenirs where you can feed it a photo and mm. it will like basically put a picture of your kid inside like a little glass cube and you can have <laughs> that instead fuck? of a photo on your desk or <laughs> something have you not no oh okay is it a 3d image of your kid so like what it is is you have like the photo that you i guess give the machine or the person or you know whatever else and what it does is it traces the outline but it it, it traces it into the center of this glass block huh. or perspex block rather and so it's kind of a uh, it, it's a representation of a 2D photo, but it's floating in this like clear substrate. Right. So that's how like they that. um, lasered my dad's uh, melanoma in his eye. Is they you know fire lasers it from all different mm. angles, and the only pl- place where they intersect is where yeah. the cancer is in 3D space, and that's the only place where the intensity is is enough to kind of burn. You could have got a picture of you in. <laughs> as well. I mean, obviously, yeah, that, that wasn't be... the priority at the time. <laughs> Even but... for a father to a son, that would be a bit much. <laughs> be the apple in his burnt. eye. Oh God! Could have it. Sorry, this is all really tasteless. <laughs> um, so maps in games, eh? <laughs> I had a question that I have also sent to the Eurogamer podcast. <laughs> Because it was inspired by theirs. You're cheating uh, on us. They were talking about, like, actually, it was a questioner on their podcast, someone who wrote into them, saying that when they finish playing Civ Six, they they like it, but when they finish playing it, they feel like they wasted their time. And I mm. feel like we said something similar. Like, I, I certainly feel that way. After I play it, I, I feel like, God, what the fuck did I do with my afternoon? Um, <laughs> and I noticed that I with Dishonored, I really didn't feel that. When I first played Dishonored 2... I took a couple of days off to do it. Um, in fact, twice I took two days off to do it. <laughs> so, uh, I spent a lot of time on it. And I would just spend like half a day on one mission and I would like, I wouldn't even thoroughly explore it, but I'd just take my time. I would, would never rush with it and always um, do it the way I wanted to do it and reload if I didn't, wasn't satisfied. And I came away for whatever reason, falsely feeling <laughs> like I'd spent my time well. I just came away thinking, God, that was really satisfying. I feel really pleased <laughs> with what I did today. <laughs> So my question is, are there, do you guys have games that you, after you play them, you particularly feel you wasted your time or games that you don't feel that and do you know why? I'm not sure. Even after putting a thousand hours into Dota 2 and then walking away, I still kind of value that time. Hmm. And there's a Mark Twain quote, which I rate, which is, um, time you enjoyed wasting is not time wasted. <laughs> so I guess it kind of comes down to whether you enjoy the game or not. Is it that simple? Well, so the, the question uh, <laughs> I might be just imposing on them now, but I, I think they were saying that they enjoyed Civ Six while they were playing it but then afterwards they felt uh, the sense of they'd wasted their lives. <laughs> 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 Maybe it was a broader issue with their lives. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like I've experienced this as well particularly with strategy games. Oh, actually yeah, with Civ I think the reason it happens to me with Civ is that I feel like so much of my time was spent uh, just dealing with... It's like all strategy games put you in the role of a general or a, or a leader or someone. And the best ones for me are things like Subcom, 
a supreme commander where uh, it feels like the game is your lieutenant and it will, you tell it roughly what you want to do or you tell it you, the broad scope and you say like this factory, I just want it to produce, you know, like two anti-air units and one anti-tank unit and an artillery unit just on a loop. Just do that composition again and again and again. I don't want to talk to you again. <laughs> Fuck off. Like that's, that's the strategy. You just keep doing it. Um, and when I play that game, I, I feel um, like the game is helping me enact my strategy. I just have the broad strategy and then the, the nitty gritty of it is handled by the game really well. And I can set patrol routes that people will follow infinitely. And, uh, and you know, what's it called when you set a factory to always send their units to a certain place? Um, oh. I don't know. I think of it as flagging it. Rally point? You, yeah, yeah rally that's point. the one. Yeah. You can rally point, but you can also rally point them to a patrol. So you can say everything that comes to this factory should go oh, here right. and then also go in this loop and keep going in that loop forever. That's great. Um, and so it's really good at like it delegating, basically. And Civ 6, I feel like, is, or all Civ games, I feel like the opposite is true, where I want all these units to go as close as they can to the enemy city. And it says, but how do you want them to get past this hex? Where do you want to go from here? Oh, this guy was trying to move here, but this other guy moved to the hex he was trying to go to. Where do you want to go now? Well, just as close as you can get. Just, just like, all I want is just for you to go roughly there. I don't care which exact hex it is. And if you get blocked, just wait and then move when you can. Just deal with it, for fuck's sake. But it can't do any of that. So every single movement, I have to manually say, just go there, just go to that tile. Just, no, just go to that tile. Just go to that tile. You go to that tile. And so at the end of it, I'm just like, God, I wasted my afternoon. <laughs> like, I, the the grand story of my Civ conquering this other Civ was cool, and I'm invested in that. But it took so much of my time to make the individual actions happen. I think there's a lot of sunk cost in those kinds of games, like because you start off and you like you're getting to grips with it and you're having fun and you have like an idea of what you want to do or where you want to go, and then you've sort of put a bunch of time in, and so by the time the the menial stuff sets in or the the loops become less enjoyable you're like but i should probably finish it or like hmm. i can still just about see the thing that i'm trying to do but now it's become a bit more of a trek and i think that's when that stuff can really start to manifest that feeling of regret sort of afterwards um i don't know i think it's it's because i feel that a lot about everything um <laughs> So I don't think games are... So John regrets nothing, Pip regrets everything. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Well, <laughs> it's more just that, like, you know, if you start going down that rabbit hole of, I could have done something else this time... <laughs> That's a dangerous question for any gamer to well, ask. I mean, <laughs> exactly. Or just any person. It's like, what could I have done? You know, like, and then there's that question that somebody like that that people sort of bring out when it's you know when they're talking about big things like work life balance it gets invoked a lot like you know no one ever lies on their deathbed you know saying oh god i wish i'd spent more time doing overtime in the office you yeah. know or like we well, wish i'd spent more time answering like tedious emails or whatever <laughs> um doing my tax returns but then like then you start just like going yeah but you could sort of say that about so many things and then yeah. you sort of hone it down to this really narrow range of things that you've deemed I mean, both valuable to society and to you and that are fun and it's like <laughs> one thing left and you're like but now i'm bored of that thing so sort of like almost no one on the deathbed says i wish I spent more time breathing but it's still worth breathing you've still got to breathe like the, the reason you're breathing is not because you think you're going to be really happy you did this 
and the breath test. Yeah, and yeah. like it's not like HMRC are going to say, oh, okay, no, I get it, when you say, yeah, but I just didn't want to like be on my deathbed regretting the hour that I'd spent doing my tax return. Yeah. You know, it's not like... But there's some shit you just got to do. Exactly, but then you're just like, oh, for God's sake. Not and true so, of video games, though. It's harder to say there's any particular video game you had to play. I think I've also stumbled across a real sort of run of mediocre games in recent <laughs> years that have made me kind of go, really? This is how I'm spending my time? Um, and so, like, I think I've ended up gravitating towards shorter experiences, which are yeah. both sort of nicer because they tend to get to the point quicker and they're, they're a lot more economical in how they present their ideas and, and like, they can still really make you think, but without padding out like I, I find that a lot of games sort of try and lure you in and then keep you there with empty activities it's why i get yeah. so annoyed with things like assassin's creed because you're just like oh for god's sake don't just give me this map like trying to tickle the part of my lizard brain that wants to get rid of all of the notifications that's cheap and shit mm. and i get really cross with it like i yeah and so I, I think things like that. But then again, you're talking to somebody who now has about 400, 500 hours on the venture capitalist. So <laughs> who knows? Hmm. I have a question for you, John, related to um, Pip's various names. Does anyone ever call you Jack? Yes, actually. Why? Well, it's so John and Jack are the two protagonist names that you ever oh, yes. get. <laughs> like that's that's eighty percent of all protagonists ever, uh, of all genders. <laughs> um, and uh, it amuses me that Jack is also like Jack is a, another version of John for some reason. <laughs> and also that doesn't make a lot of sense. I never really understood why Jack is a version of John, but it I is. I think it's like if I remember rightly from like a book that I read as a kid. Like there is a, like a an actual series of truncations and slight changes that you can follow. I mean, you're starting with John. How much can you truncate it? <laughs> j- j- like I think it went from John to Jonkin and then to <laughs> well, Jock it's longer. and then to Jack. Like that's wow. the shortened version, but like mm. it sort of went through various permutations. But then because I think Peggy is technically a, a contraction of Margaret. Like what? seriously. <laughs> I thought it was short for Pegasus. <laughs> now, can you explain why someone uh, called me Chris for over a year? Because games journalism. It's its just a game of odds at this point. It's like, you're going to be Tom, or you're going to be Chris, or you're going to be, like, yeah. Tim, maybe. So, and John is, like, John is in the mix as well, but, I mean. If I could be Jack, I would definitely be Jack, because hmm. John Roberts has the worst kind of wobbly jelly kind of feeling of the name. <laughs> I really dislike it now. Could you be Robert Johns? That's See, that's got a much better kind of symmetry mm. in poetry. <laughs> it sounds like a poet, Robert Johns. Yeah. Mm. I like, it sounds like Rabbi Burns. <laughs> yeah, or Robert Graves or something. Whereas you can't say John Roberts without turning the R's into W's. John Robert. <laughs> <laughs> so who calls you Jack? Uh, I can't remember, just people when they forget my name. Oh, right, okay. Jack. But Jack Roberts sounds like a default sort of, like, spy thriller airport yeah. paperback Pirates. kind of. Yeah. Uh, uh. Anyway, this is quite indulgent. 
<laughs> I was um I was playing a hidden object adventure themed around Davy Jones mm. and like at one point they start calling him David Jones and I was just like wait what? <laughs> like you know Please, only Davey his Jones bank manager father. calls him this. <laughs> well, Mr. Jones, I'm afraid much of what was in your locker is now very much no longer legal tender. <laughs> I think it was to draw a distinction between who he was as like a humble fisherman before he became some sort right. of like terrorize, terrorizing sea ghost thing. A sea terrorist. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> like enslaving skeletons to do his bidding and whatnot. <laughs> Have we answered the map question? Oh, no, we, we moved on. <laughs> yeah, we answered it and then we moved on to other questions and we answered those as well. Uh, which means that's all the questions that we have time for. Yeah. Uh, you can send us questions at questions at com. You can also sort of at them at us on Twitter, at Crate and Crowbar. Um, and you can follow us individually. I'm at Pentadact, P-E-N-T-A-D-A-C-T. What are you, John? I'm John R J O H N underscore A-double-R. What are you, <laughs> Philippa War? God, I'm so like paranoid about this now. <laughs> um, well, I am at Philippa War, which is P H I L I P P A W A R. Very well done. Thanks. Um, I've only had it for like thirty something years. <laughs> this name thing. <laughs> we also have like a Discord channel you can hang out on, which will be linked in the show notes and. A website, I guess, which is greatandcrowbar.com. You've already <laughs> found this. And I think that's it. See, it's not very easy, is it? <laughs> so, thanks, thanks for listening, everybody. everybody. <laughs>